And then before that, Philly for a year, maybe a year and a half or so. And then four years in San Diego, Vegas, Baltimore, and all the way back to college in Jersey and baseball years, man. It's just been all over. But my home, I'll let you know sometime next year. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get start traveling? Uh, good question. I I was like a, kind of like a jock growing up, but half jock, half nerd. I was I, I was in the video game, stuff like that, and then also played a ton of sports. But once my I played D1 baseball, once that career just ended, you know, it was time to hang it up in senior year. Got my scholarship, did my thing there. But my uh, roommate was better than me. He was going pro, and he only got the double A. So he made the right choice looking back. But long story short is I didn't know where else to go. I always liked business, and I um, I took an international business class in my junior year in college. I saved up all my savings. It's actually in the book, this chapter. It's called, like, I Lost My Travel Virginity in Prague. And the international business class was like running this 20-page paper on all the businesses you visit internationally and how they conduct business with the U.S. And Carrier Air Conditioning was the main uh, company there. Anyway, the, the the whole trip just changed my perspective on everything because I was just used to the Northeast weather, you know, culture, food, family, you know, everything like that. I'd never actually been abroad. Most people's first trip are like Mexico or Caribbean, things like that, or maybe, maybe uh, London or Paris is a good one. But I went to freaking Prague in Czech Republic and didn't know any language. Nothing, everything was different. I mean, even and I, I wrote this out. I'm very, very like open on it. I mean, all the uh, all the guys and girls, we all went to a strip club there. And it's like you look at a menu instead of food. It's literally sexual things. It's like legal. <laughs> it's yeah. Ridiculous. And I didn't know as a young kid, I didn't know what to expect. I, I just was learning and, and taking it along. Now, granted, I, I didn't have enough money to do any of that stuff anyway. So. <laughs> you know, I was barely able to afford the uh, the bratwurst in the street at that point, being a college broke kid. But um, but yeah, that trip definitely changed my perspective, and I kind of got hooked into it ever since. I did another study abroad thing in London, and Paris, my uh, senior year, and the reason I did these was college baseball. I'm playing all year round, like during my spring break, during summer. I'm doing summer leagues. I didn't have time, and the only time I had a chance to do this was in the month of January, which is when they did those like two three week trips to Europe. And then you write papers based on your experiences and the, um, the timing just worked out during that time frame. I also needed part-time work. So I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods. I, I coached a little kids baseball, made some money that way. And I also sold uh, spring break group trips. Like I couldn't actually go on spring break, but I, I'm like, I'm known for making friends with everybody. I'm not really picky on, on interest. I just, I like everything. So again, kind of like half jock, half dork, uh, just that personality. And, Everyone that wanted to go somewhere, they end up like going booking the trips for me. So I made some some money on that. But then the company liked my, uh, I guess, persona or whatever. So they hired me full time, and I never even had been on spring break yet. <laughs> so That's awesome. I had a college. I ended up getting a job offer in September, which was in Baltimore as the uh, you know sales manager for the company for the entire Northeast universities, like two hundred schools, going down to Mexico and Caribbean in, in each spring. So that's kind of how that that whole wave just started and just kind of wrote it ever since. How many uh, countries have you been to? As of last week, uh, 79. Wow. You plan on going to every country? No, nah, that's a good question. I don't, I'm not that into it. It just, dude, I, I actually was ready to hang up and retire and just kind of settle down and have family kids like two, three years ago. Just the whole pandemic thing, man, it's just put pause on normal life for a while. I mean, I normally work in group events and group travel, both of which like the company I was working for was 300 people. They went to 10 in a matter of two months. Wow. Like, yeah, it was, it was gnarly. So I just took it like um, the once in a lifetime opportunity to, to have basically a retirement while we're younger. 
and just did all the th- like I love hiking, all the physically capable trips that I can think of, the really far away ones, the extreme ones, and just knock them out because who knows how long we can live. Number one, and we've all seen it, senior citizens, my parents, you know, that are like grandparents at this point. But you had this American dream of you know retiring at sixty five, want to travel the world. That's what they're sold to them, you know, when they're growing up, when the family money do it. Number one, some people don't have the time. Most importantly, physical capability. I, had, I mean, to be able to hike Mount Kilimanjaro, go up to Norway and hike all those mountains, man, I, I don't even want to walk up a flight of stairs on 65, 70 at that point. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're doing it the right way because, like you said, most people wait till the time is run out. It's like this meme I saw one time. It's like either you have the time or the money right. to do it. And most people don't have the time. Because and you're know, right we on, all we on, have like a we all have an expiration clock. Yep. Okay. And, and looking back, I'm sure you guys, I mean, everyone listening too, we can all relate that there's friends and family members that have been taken, whether it's from pandemic or just something totally different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had like four or five friends pass away in the past like three years. None of them were even with COVID. My uncle passed away with that, but this is just normal life stuff: car accident, too much partying here and there, you know, uh, mental abuse, physical trauma. And they're in like mid thirties. They're not even reaching their forties or fifties yet. So it's like that takes a toll mentally on everybody. It makes you kind of want to hit the gas pedal and stuff that you want to do. Yeah, you should never take this life for granted. I agree. But the, you you touched on something that was important to me personally too is the time part I had, which I've just used. We'll see if it works out better for better or for worse. But the money part, everyone always asks me, how do you afford this stuff? And I'm not like. Staying in five star hotels, the, you know, the American dream was like retire and, and do all these fancy trips and stuff. That's great if you have the money to do it. You don't have to have that much money to do this stuff. I mean, everyone's seen the backpackers, you know, style lifestyle. We stay in hostels, we, we sleep on floors when we need to, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, my my expenses, just to give you apples apples comparison, if I was renting a place in Philly or Florida or San Diego, the most recent homes in the U.S. on average is like. 800, maybe a thousand, 1200 max. So just to say a thousand dollars per month rent, the actual lodging I was spending in Central America, South America is like three, 400 a month. So right there alone is $600 to play with, to do with whatever. Yeah. Flights or, you know, transportation. So it, it, it doesn't need to be that expensive when you're at this age bracket, 20, 30 something years old, you can make it work. it's It's like people here will go to Vegas and Miami and all these other places over and over and over again. And spend X amount of dollars, which they could have gone across the pond to do the same kind of thing and had a better experience. Yeah, I'll never forget. I lived in Vegas. I've seen a lot of that casino lifestyle. I mean, I'll never forget. um, I think if it was, it might have been in Miami the one weekend, but it happened in both. Where I'm I'm very outgoing and talk to everybody. So me and my buddies, we walk in. We actually knew a guy at the door that lived. So we didn't pay entry, which was helpful. That's another cost-saving thing. But we get up to upstairs and there's all these VIP tables. It's Art Basel weekend. Now I remember this. This is nothing to do with the book. This is just a random story. But Art Basel weekend in Miami is like all the ballers that come in to buy really expensive art and stuff. And there's an artist up there who's doing really well, but he's shy. So he needs to like have a wingman. So I'm talking to a whole group of girls with my buddies at the bar up there, right? He's like, dude, can you help me out and like invite them in? Sure, no problem. We bring them all in there. There's like 10 girls come in. There's only like three, four of us guys. Starts to be a great night. And you're right, Vegas, Miami, that lifestyle. Even in New York, you get this. That's what they look for is kind of like the ratio as far as the clubs, but they're very expensive. And this guy's just dropping, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars on stuff. I'm like, what is going on? But more importantly is the people next to us were from Vegas, came into Art Basel for a weekend. 
I saw their bill, dude, it was like forty thousand dollars just for one night. Holy it's shit. So yeah, ridiculous. I took a picture of it. <laughs> like, but you're right though, even just a normal weekend in Vegas, I mean that that's obviously extreme on the high end, but you spend a couple of grand here and there, that could literally be a month in, in backpacking in Asia, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got a buddy of mine that he stays in. Well, before the pandemic, he would travel from Toronto. He's that's where he's originally from, Toronto. I met him here in Memphis, but like he would go to Toronto, Memphis, uh, like somewhere in Mexico, and then Dubai, and then he's predominantly in Thailand. That's where he's at now. But he's just like he's been trying to get me to go there forever. But he's just like you can live like a fucking king over here, man, for what we pay here on average. Yeah, that's true. And our mutual friend Tito was neighbors with uh, all of us down in Fort Lauderdale. And, and this is, you know, fully disclosed. My, my um, other neighbor, Dave, he moved. He actually went for two week vacation to Thailand in March of whenever it happened. Was it 2020? The pandemic? I forget. Yeah, it's 2020. I think is when it first started. It was April there. But he never came back. He's still there. Like he hasn't come back to Florida. He's just still renting out his house, his apartment uh, in Fort Lauderdale. He's been in Thailand ever since. You're right. He had. He just doesn't have a desire to. Now, granted, he didn't have a girlfriend or, or wife, family, or kids here at this point in Florida, so the timing was there. But he stayed through the entire pandemic. It's nuts. He's been there for almost like two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, it's like Tony said earlier about how much people spend in Vegas and stuff like that. When I was looking at flights for Toronto, the, like two days ago or something like that, it yep. was like four hundred and fifty bucks, five hundred bucks. But then, if, you, if I zoomed out on the Google Flights map, like you could you could go to Hawaii for six hundred bucks round trip. Yeah, you know. Well, I so. mean, you're right. You're right on the timing too. If you look now, this is a combustion of everything. I worked a lot in travel industry, so present day July of 2022, you have backlog of the past two years of all the people rebooking their tickets. A number one, it's July, which is the busiest travel month period. So if you look at the price price of flights in general of July right now versus you know what? Before the they had to, I flew out again in December last year just to uh, you know because avoiding all the pandemic stuff. But they had like a quote unquote another wave of stuff, which turned out to be not that bad. But all the flights dropped again. So the, the same exact apples to apples flight, like you said, Hawaii might be six hundred now, maybe like three hundred round trip in December last year. Mm-hmm. It's it just it changes based on demand, and the demand right now is insane. Like airlines have a lot of room to make money. The problem is. It happened so fast and unexpectedly. This was supposed to happen last year, in the summer of last year. It didn't really happen for them, so they didn't keep buffing up their staff. So now they're understaffed and they have all this demand. They can't, you know, it's like when you order a book or order a DVD or whatever, and you don't have it on stock or something. You know, if you have all these orders, you can't fulfill it. You're not gonna make money like they can. Yeah. So that's the dilemma they're at. Is it true that booking a flight on a Tuesday is the cheapest day to buy a ticket? Yeah, that's a good. That's fair. The reason why is I mean, typical American, you know, schedules Monday through Friday. So they do beef it up on weekends. Um, and you'll see that on like Google has it, all these maps and everything. There's always a zigzag. Yeah. It's usually a weekend that goes up and weekdays it goes down. Now, with that being said, there's always random sales by airlines because that's, you know, Southwest's uh, 100th birthday or something like that. I don't know what their birthday is, but you get the idea that mm-hmm. that could happen on whatever day of the week. But in general, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday is a good day. The best days to look. The problem is people are usually busy at work. They go somewhere with the kids at night and things like that. So the timing's tough. But you want to get a deal that does work. And also flying the days of the week, hands down, the busiest are going to be your weekends. You leave on Friday afternoon, going somewhere. If you're checking on a flight that's later on Sunday, they're always the most expensive because they're highest in demand. So do you say you're friends with Mr. Miami? Oh, Tito? Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, man, he was my neighbor for two years down there. He's oh, awesome. Mr. Worldwide, man. man. Tito Diaz. Shout out, Tito. That guy, he's the best, man. Like, we went down there, and before we got down there, I had never been to Miami before. And my buddy Nick used to live down there, and Nick and them all were like, let's go to South Beach, stay in South Beach. And so I hit Tito up, and Tito lives in Fort Lauderdale, like you know. Yep. And then uh, Tito's like, that's the tourist spot, man. Like, stay in Brickle. So I ended up getting a place in Brickle, and they stayed in South Beach. But I, I'm glad with my decision. But it seems like, it, I don't know. And I like, I've seen videos of South Beach now. Because we went in January. And like for spring break and that shit, it looked like wild as fuck, man. I'm, yeah. like, I'm glad I missed that part. Yeah, the, the, the month of March in South Beast, as of the past five years, is notorious for getting overcrowded and kind of dangerous is the word. Yeah. And, and people always ask me, like, you know, what are some of the most dangerous things in the world? Places and stuff like that. Events like that where it's just a combustion. I mean, it, happened, it, it doesn't get that bad in Fort Lauderdale because it's not as busy. It's not as well known. But Miami in month of March is like, it it's it flat out almost becomes dangerous just because you have so many people at the same time doing the same thing. It's like overcrowded. Um I do a lot of I used to work a lot in spring break in Mexico and Cancun it can get a lot like that. Cabo is kind of trending as of late. You know, if any college kids are listening, go to Cabo, man. It's my best advice. That place is awesome for spring break. That's but, um, oh sorry. Yeah, you, you, I was gonna say the most dangerous you know place I've been out of seventy nine, eighty countries, whatever it is, no filter is all my my hometown, Philadelphia. Northern Philadelphia and specifically the neighborhood of Kensington is literally hell on earth. Mm. And the reason I know this is because I drove Uber for half a year when the pandemic first happened because I didn't have a job, lost it all. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do? And all the other Uber drivers went on unemployment. I didn't need to not, not work. I was fully capable of working. So I took the Uber job. I actually did Uber and Lyft, both of them. And I'm logged in and the fares are like every single one was a surge like plus 30 bucks plus 50 it was insane just taking people to the grocery stores because they didn't want to go on the trains they didn't want to go on buses and all the other drivers were gone so same thing like supply and demand i'm making like 40 50 an hour just driving around the city with that being said i learned a lot about my hometown a lot mm. there's really good bad parts of philly there's really really bad parts i'm sure you can say the same about memphis st louis you know all, there's every city's got good and bad even over in asia and, and south america but man it is if you ever Google the word Kensington, Philadelphia, there's these YouTube videos. It looks like walking dead zombies. It's really scary and it just disturbing is the word. That's probably the worst thing I've seen just on Earth, period. There's other parts that are almost as bad, but that just maybe it's because I'm biased as I'm from there. It's kind of embarrassing, but there's really, really good parts of Philly, too, that everyone history buffs would love. That's insane, man. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know they were charging that much more just to give people. I do know that Uber is much more expensive, like currently today and stuff, than it was like a year ago. Yeah. Well, with the gas, I mean, they got to make up their, if it's $4 a gallon, $5 a gallon per gas instead of two or three, just do the math. You're just paying for the difference there. Now, the are driver, they, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. The driver is probably making about the same as they normally would have before the pandemic. That didn't change, shouldn't change too, too much. I can't say that because I haven't done it in a year, fully, at least a year. But during the pandemic, when everyone was getting their unemployment stuff, there was like limited amount of drivers and, and the amount of riders went up actually. So it was like, it was a perfect storm. So I wasn't complaining. <laughs> so what are your top five countries you've been to? Great question. This is always the question that gets asked. Um, and I really have to, you know, kind of come back with a question. It depends on your interest. Like, you know, let's say it's a single girl or a single guy listening, you know, what if it's a couple or family, you know, they like the beach, they like the mountains, what's their food type, what's their culture. I need categories. You know, when you go to this many places, I, I can't just pick one out of a hat because it depends on what people actually may want to do with themselves. You know, what's the nicest, but like what, you personally, 
Well, I'm, I, currently I'm a single guy, but there's also been trips where I went in a relationship. So I can easily give the relationship one out there because it's just it stands out that far and above everything else. Of all the exotic islands and the beaches and the mountains and nice cities, the one that always stands out is Santorini, Greece, for couples. That 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 island is of all the hype it gets, all the desktop background photos you see, it lives up to the hype and actually exceeds it. It's that good. Mm. The only caveat is the month of July. It's almost too crowded. Just don't go in July, and it's that good. Is that the Somebody. is that the city that's like the white buildings? Yes, on the water off on the water. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thera and Oya. Oya is like the creme de la creme, and it's not like I mean that one. It actually is very expensive to stay in, but you can just stay in a center island, rent a quad for the week, or however long you're there, a couple of days, and just drive around and go to it during sunset. But man, it is a real life postcard. It's that good. Aren't a lot of people going to Mykonos now too? Yeah, that's always trending. Mykonos and Santorini are the top two. Mykonos, I wouldn't say is as beautiful, but it's definitely more fun. Yeah. I have a friend who lives, he actually manages a, um, a hotel there, and I was with a girlfriend at the time. We stayed in the staff room of the hotel for free for three nights. It was amazing. Nice. Thanks, Steve, by the way. Um, but, you know, <laughs> same thing. We just rented a quad and run around. That was a fun trip, but that is very good. It's like nightlife, like Ibiza in Spain. Mykonos is like that in Greece. Mm. You get all the techno, all the, all the uh, DJs and stuff out on the beach and everything at sunset. But it's a, it's a fun island. I wouldn't call it the more beautiful one for couples. But for singles, go to Mykonos. <laughs> so what would you say between like Tulum and Cabo? Then? Ooh, great question. Oh, man, they're both good. Cabo is more like Jet Setter, like Southern California looks like that style because it's a desert with the, with the ocean there. Mm-hmm. Tulum, you will get, it depends on the time of year. I think it's worth going to in the winter time for the U.S. Um, but if you go in summer, like right now, you can get a lot of the seaweed and sargasm. Uh, rain potential hurricane season so you got to be careful with tulum with that being said as far as like the hippie style uh what's the word i'm thinking of like trendy things like that mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty freaking cool i i never and i don't like naming certain businesses but there's a spot down there called rosa negra and i went right in the middle of pandemic but that was just like the spot to be and at night it was just awesome it's right in the middle of tulum beach which is very expensive if you stay downtown tulum it's like half the cost and you could just you know, take a quick taxi or like 10 to 15 minutes over to the beach. How did Tulum just start blowing up all of a sudden during the pandemic? Like I had never even heard of Tulum. And then now it's everywhere. Like every like influencer was going there. It just seemed like that was a, the new location. Yeah. Like I said, the word trendy. I mean, social media has definitely affected the travel industry without a doubt, because mm-hmm. without that, it wouldn't market itself that well. But the, the, the reason why is because the past two, three years, they haven't really, I mean, everyone was living there and they didn't really enforce like COVID protocol. Uh, and so anyone that was like 20, 30 years old, which if you get COVID, I mean, we've all, you know, most people have had it at this point, they're still living. Um, if, and if you had a vaccine, if you're older, then life should go on in my opinion, but that's a whole different subject. Point being with Tulum is they didn't really restrict people ever. They were welcoming tourists, actually. They were encouraging it. So that's why it became so popular because it was a destination you actually go to and, and live normally without masks and protocol and stuff like that granted you still have to take a test when you left there to go to another country but it was like a, a sense of normalcy and people just stayed there and and just started sharing stuff so that that blew up like a volcano real quick um but it's it's so close to cancun i mean you, you could literally do a week total trip and do half a week in cancun half in tulum and get the best of both worlds it's totally different cancun's like vegas style on a beach and tulum's like some trendy hipster you know swag style stuff on the beach but they're they're very close to each other, like an hour apart. So what? it's like going to Long Island and then going to Miami. Did you ever go to that uh, place with the bird's nest? 
Yeah. Yeah. A how Tulum. I went up in there. That's cool. Um, I can't remember all the names of these places. My memory is <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little foggy from the past couple of years, but the, uh, but yeah, that's I me. Mean. It looks like, like wooden style. It, it, you just need to Google the word Tulum, a how a H a U and you'll get the kind of visual of it. And there's all these artists, like you say, go down there. So I, I do compare that to like a trendy spot in, in South Florida, an example, but very, very different vibe altogether. But it is it is expensive on the beach itself to stay there. And then if you're staying downtown, it's very reasonable. And they're not that far apart. And then both are very safe, too. So that's actually a good spot for both families and singles all around Tulum. I'd, I'd actually like Playa del Carmen's a good spot, too. Cancun depends on the time of year. And same thing with Tulum, depends on time of year. Watch the weather. Always, That's, that's a very prominent thing in the, in the book. I get a lot of travel advice in that thing. But I got to look this up. There's like somewhere in between one of these chapters that there's like two pages of just Here's the, the top advice I've ever had in the past 15 years. I'll try to find it for you. But weather is a big one for sure before you go on a trip. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I guess I just I just started seeing a bunch of people go in there. And I also saw a lot of people went there. I guess they is DMT really popular in Tulum. That I don't know. Yeah, I guess DMT? it's like like spiritual. Uh, it's kind of like a psychedelic or it is a psychedelic. Uh, it's like on par with like ayahuasca and mushrooms and stuff like that. Yeah, it probably is. All that st- anything like that yoga world, you can think of festivals, things like that. I mean, that actually was happening. They were allowed to throw festivals, I mean, quote unquote, under the under the radar, but people were still hosting a group events during the pandemic. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, in the middle of pandemic in Brazil, I was in Rio. No, I'm sorry, I was in Sao Paulo during Carnival. Mm-hmm. And the actual carnival, the official one was not happening, not at all. Even New Year's didn't quote unquote happen, but all the locals still brought their own fireworks, still did their own thing for both. And you know, you had the sense of normalcy there. Was it the best thing for the the long term thing? You know, that depends on your personal opinions, but there's always something going on in the world. No matter what the media or news portrays, it doesn't catch everything. Um, you know, social media is the scapegoat of that. That that, that, that gets on the radar and you'll find out stuff from there. Yeah. But uh but yeah, man, that's just, I, I, this is not just pandemic going. I've been traveling for 15 years. Every time I moved, a couple, took a couple months off and enjoyed the time. And like you said before, Tony, the time is a big factor for most people that don't, they don't have, especially when you get a family and kids. I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm, I'm 37 now. A lot of my friends are married with kids. And man, that first, like, two, at least two years, you're just buckled down. It's like, you, you, you got to prepare for it, but you know, people don't expect how much time is actually invested with a family. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. I want to have that. Um, been trying it for a while, but you, you got to be prepared for that one, two, three, four years time frame of just being like dedicated to not be able to travel that much. You, sure. You can get away for a week here and there, but to backpack through Europe or go through Asia, it is hard as a family and people do it, but kudos to them. I, I just, it's a lot of effort, man. And cost a lot of more cost involved too. What's the best place in Asia for a single guy to go to? It's a good question. Um, it's like a three-way tie, man. Philippines, Thailand, and Vietnam, all three of those, you should knock them out at the same time. It is fun. And for a single girl going to Asia, I actually think Tokyo is worth it just because of the food scene. Hong Kong was cool. Um, I, wouldn't, I can't really call Australia Asia, but girls should definitely, definitely go to Australia and New Zealand. They, they would just love it there. And I try to say that on both ends because there's the, the book catered to both guys and girls. It's It's not just... You know, one gender in particular that would like this thing, but going to Asia as a guy, Australia is probably your least, you know, unless you love surfing up in, in the Gold Coast or you like diving, that's different. But I'm talking about like actually is a single person having some fun, just like the reason we all go to Vegas. You know, you want the potential to actually see if you, you like someone there 
and yeah, definitely Philippines is American. Filipinos and and U.S. were tight. We're, we're like you know best friends over there. So they love us. We love them when they come here. Food's great. Vietnam could go either way. Guys and girls both will love that place. And I say that not just for me, but if you look at Anthony Bourdain, who's a phenom in the travel industry, you know, RIP to him. But um, but that was one of his favorites, and for right right reasons. That is a very very. Yeah, they have a lot of tension there in the, the mid century of the 1900s, but. After the war, this is long, long over, man. It's a beautiful country, not just for the food, uh, for the people, but like the things to do factor. There's, there's there's always experiences to be there, especially in central and northern Vietnam. And then Thailand, I spent a good two months there. I actually went for two weeks like 12 years ago, and that's I, I rarely double dip. I rarely go back to countries, but Thailand was one of them, especially with Dave living there. Yeah, I kind of went there and visited him. He, he was stuck there for the whole pandemic. So that was cool. Um, and then I met uh good friend of mine now logan he was dude we the entire logan and i were the only two tourists in the entire hostel in the middle of phuket on the beach and then ariane from canada comes there so there's three of us and this hostel holds like maybe two three hundred people normally wow. and their business just shattered i mean it's been like this for for a long time for most countries and i'm not bullshitting you it, it, it's really bad and I, i'm prom- trying to promote tourism for that reason with the sensitivity of, I know there's a lot of old people, or not old people, but people in general think that the pandemic is more important for that. With that being said, you still get in the car and drive every day. At some point, you got to weigh the risk factor and make your own personal decision, and that shouldn't affect the whole population. And the reason I say that, as a volleyball, beach volleyball player, I busted up my shoulder for a good five, six months. I had a whole surgery done, everything. Does that mean when I'm sitting out of a game, I can't play a game I like? Does that mean that everyone else has to sit out too? No. They can still make their own decision to play the game, you know, and make their own weighted, you know, risk and decisions. But, um, but single guy going back there to Asia, definitely Thailand, definitely Philippines, Vietnam. I think is good. I personally love Hong Kong and Tokyo, and the reason I say that is one of my first trips ever after the college era. Um, I was working with a company, and I got really lucky on this. I never win anything, but I put my name in a, in a Christmas like a holiday, you know, um, holiday party for the company. And they, they drew my name and that, that name was a prize with Delta airlines. They gave me a, a trip, you know, to anywhere I want in the world. Granted, I had to do it on certain dates. They had open seats and everything, but it was at no cost. So I, I picked the most expensive ticket I can think of from Philly all the way to Hong Kong. And it just happened to stop in Tokyo. And I said, well, can I stay in Tokyo for a week? I said, sure. So they let me do both of those at a very young age. And that, that really opened up my eyes to the whole rest of the world. Man, that's invaluable. Like those memories and the stories you have. Like, there's nothing that anybody can take that away from you. you it's know? for for all of us too, man. Yeah. Everyone's our memories are everything. And that, that, you know, it's nice to have a nice car here and there. But I mean, granted, like classic cars. I'm a big. Our, my family's a big classic car, you know, family. So if you got a good vintage GTO sitting around the garage as a memento, that's pretty cool. But normal, I'm talking about normal everyday cars. Say you buy a Ferrari, right, or you buy a Jeep totally different cost factor, but how long does it actually last you? How long do you keep that thing? A few years and then it's gone. You know, the memories stick with you forever. Mm-hmm. That That's a big thing I look at. You know, what are you spending your money on? What's your value? And some people want to spend on, on nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just their choice. You know, it is what it is. Where but, was um, the first place you went to that you realized that how good Americans have it? Oh, that's a great question, man. And th- this is not to knock Americans, but to open up your eyes of, of promoting travel, especially to play. I, I just use India. Uh, India is a great example of what you just said, because I'll, I have, I am scarred in my brain 
forever. And my, my pop was on this trip too. My I, we did a father son trip, not by purpose but by accident. My it was a girl was supposed to come with me at one point. We weren't really officially dating. We were thinking about it anyway. That fell off, so I had an open seat on this tour of India, and I said, "Dad, you want to go?" And he had all this stuff going on with medical, you know, things. So he switched it around. <laughs> That's a whole different story, too. But in the book, we go there. But India, in particular, is a memory of that. Probably the second half, second week, we're there in the middle of like central southern India, down by the uh, Rathambore National Park where the Bengal tigers are. But there's these. Kids, we're just driving along the road, and Delhi is insane. By the way, there's smog everywhere. There's people jam packed. I mean, just going to work is like hell on earth up there. So that's number one. But the thing that got me the worst was that there's we're driving by this neighborhood and we're stuck in traffic at a, at a red light. And I look over to the left and there's this river. Well, what used to be a river, right? But instead of water, it's just plastic rubbish, just trash and just plastic everywhere. I mean, the pollution is brutal. And there's these kids running like from their house, walking out. There's a line of them, like three or four or five of them and following each other. And it reminds me of that movie, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, if you have that, if you've ever seen that. But there's these kids running through the trash, trying to find like scraps of stuff to eat or to take home. And that's like their everyday life. So no matter how bad of a day I'm having, how rough of a day I'm having, I always have that image stuck in my head. And I can't, I can't complain. Like it's just sucking me. And if someone, especially Americans, ever took that type of trip and saw that in real life, not just on a video, not on YouTube or some social media thing, but actually saw it in real life, they're like, wow. You know, it, it's hard to like complain about anything anymore. It's just, it's how it is every day for them. I mean, how can we, you know, <laughs> the matter of like just getting water from the tap, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you get all this bottle of water, you pay money for it, dude, we get the tap water and actually you can drink it. That doesn't happen. Like not, I'd say at least like 50% of the world, you don't have that luxury. So just water, the most essential thing of life is we just get it from the tap. It's insane. Yeah, I had one of those aha moments. I had one when we went to uh, Tijuana for the first time. Oh, yeah. From going yeah. from San Diego or L.A. to San Diego, seeing how beautiful that is, and then walking over to the border and seeing Tijuana. I'm sure there's beautiful parts of Tijuana, but what I saw was, you know, just horrific. And then I went to, during the pandemic, I went to uh, Tanzania. And uh, I think we were, we went to Tanzania, then we flew over to Zanzibar. And we were That's driving cool. to our resort. And I look over, just like you said, I look over out the window and I see kids and animals digging through this pile of trash for food. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man. And I was going to like a really nice place, too. And it made me feel kind of guilty by being there. And it's a it's a weird feeling, man. Dude, you hit on the head. That's a place I desire to go strong. I, I would love to see Victoria Falls, but also Zanzibar, Tanzania. I've been done South Africa, but it gets more the word extreme. The more Central Africa you get, you get in some. I have a friend who's she's been to like 120 uh, countries. Um, Morgan, she's a flight attendant, and, and that's usually the, the the way you get to that point. If you're ever going to go that long, mm-hmm. you got to be some type of reporter, social media, you know, influencer or, or uh, airline you know employee. But she did the whole Central Africa part, even through Senegal, as a single girl, blonde girl too. And she's worked. She did it smartly though. She she covered up her hair and everything, so she was safe to that extent. But I saw those videos, and you're right. You hit it right on the head, man. That is probably – I haven't been there yet. Um, love to go at some point. But India was my personal aha moment, just like you had for, for Central Africa, man. It's rough, like real rough. Yeah, like but I always tell – oh, I'm sorry. Trip. Go ahead. No, it's a beautiful trip to take because it puts you in, in back into perspective, and it also helps their economy. I love the tourism part because places like that, if they don't have any tourism, it gets worse for that. They're definitely making money off tourism, yeah. and that's good – that's good for their you know, personal well-being. 
And it was weird but, too during the pandemic because like we stayed at a couple of different resorts because I the first part of the trip was uh, safaris. So I think uh-huh. I did like a five five day safari, but we stayed in a different location each time. And yep. it was like pretty much us to the whole thing. Like you were talking about your hostel you stayed in. And like it's like it's weird, man. Like because I know those people are struggling because that's how they make money. Yep, dude. It was like a it was like a science fiction movie, and you've you've seen it with your own eyes. You've been there where it's normally like I mean, granted, if it's low season, you get less people than high season. But to have like no one else there but just your group on a place that during high season normally would be thriving, mm-hmm. it was like that Will Smith movie in, in New York. Uh, what the hell is that called? I am Legend. Oh yeah, dude, it was, it was eerie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, you're right on that, man. The only thing I did like about it is, like, with planes back then, it was not oh, crowded. That was, <laughs> that was perfect. That was the perk. That was that was heaven. The yeah. middle oh seat empty. Uh, I was on a I was on a streak like twelve flights in a row where I had the entire row to myself on the exit row, and that never happens, especially yeah. in peak season. Yeah, that's it actually how mine was too. It was nuts, man. Wow. So what? What's your? What's you got? What's your, give me your. Not like just off the top of your head, not for a particular reason, but you had your favorite place in the world. It could be in the U.S. or anywhere else. What's your favorites? I want to go to Tokyo. Where have we been or where where do we want to go? Uh, let's, do, let's do one of each because I, I have my place that I want to go and I have my fa- personal favorite just uh, been. So let's do those two for all, all three of us. All right. Well, I haven't left the country since I moved here. So and then I want to go to like somewhere like in Asia, like either Korea or Tokyo. Or Japan, right. because, man, those... Wouldn't that be Tokyo? Well, yeah. Yeah, sorry. My bad. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, I see all these cool videos, and, like, I want to see the... I don't know what country this is, but it's, like, those cherry blossom trees, and, like, yeah, Mount Kilo... And what is that? Mount Fuji or something like that? In the back... In the distance? Fuji, yep. Yeah. I see. I want to see that in person. That's cool. Do it. <laughs> Dude, the, the Tokyo flights—that—that's something you can actually get away with the reason, especially if well, cherry blossom season in the spring, sit the way a little bit. But I've seen flares to Tokyo in the fall that are like every just before COVID that are actually really, really well priced. And you just gotta like, there's a couple uh, companies I put in the book too. Like they, I mean, this is nothing to do with paid stuff. This is like if you Google like top 20, ten, top twenty weekly deals, things like that. My best advice is never put your phone. This is coming from my health insurance there. Never put your phone number online, but. If you have a secondary email, sign up for everything. You know, just don't put your main email on there. But if you have a secondary one, that way you know what's going on, trending, and when uh, on deals on in travel industry or any industry for that matter. Because mm. yeah, we all have our main email. You don't want spam on there. But if you want to like plan a trip, you can have that email secondary on your phone, log into it, or on your laptop, whatever, and just check the deals each week and see what comes up. You know, it's a good way to brainstorm trips. It's a good idea. I would say my place that I've been to. Probably as far as like beauty goes, um, probably Washington State. I'll give you that one. That's good. It's so green up there compared to where I live now. And then, yeah, the I mean, it depends on the time of year though, because it does rain a lot. But the actual mountains are beautiful up there. And I always wanted to go to Thailand. Yeah, I think that you both. All right, so here's the deal. This is what I recommend: when you guys get a break, jet out over to Thailand and stop in Tokyo on the way. That's the way you do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great it's a great flight route it's a long flight knock out two birds with one stone because not everybody can handle that long of a flight i pass out and sleep and that's actually all these tips and stuff on there if you have a long-haul flight to south america like chile or brazil or you're going over all the way to asia dude, it's brutal so the best advice don't pass out right away do not sleep in the very first thing you have to stay awake watch a movie get some food in you I recommend not drinking more than a beer or two because you get really, really dehydrated and you just don't, it just feels like weird when you get there. 
but stay some keep some water in you and then pass out in the middle of the flight after that first or second movie that's when you need to like sleep and whether you take nyquil or some type of sleeping thing that helps knock out and then when you wake up if you wake up early then you watch another movie when you get there or if you just sleep through then you're good but the, the people a lot of people like will pass out and then they're awake for and it's like eight hours to go still it's like a 12 13 hour flight sometimes so <laughs> you just bored out of your mind yeah, for eight hours straight, but yeah so when you travel, do you do it like with points and stuff like that? Or how are you doing it? Any of the above. I got, I wouldn't say spoiled. I mean, we, we'd worked hard on this, but when I lived in San Diego and you made me laugh too, about the Tijuana thing is you're right. It is very, very dramatic when you change right across the border there. Yeah. But some of the, it, not some of, it is the best taco in the entire world. Al Pastor tacos on the U S Mexico border in Tijuana, hands down the best, even better in Mexico city. Um, but, uh, as food stuff aside, the, the job I had that kept me in San Diego for so long was I was a road warrior for a real estate company flying all around the U.S. and Canada. So I've been to every major Canadian city, 46 states. It's nuts. But the the, the, the point I'm getting at is all those air miles, I got to keep. Mm. And I didn't use them that those two years I was working because I was already like all over the place. So I just kept on to those. And I was like platinum medallion, um, you know, upgrades here and there. But that was mostly business travel. So it wasn't like for fun per se, but I just held on to them. Um, and that helped a lot. And I finally just used up the last like uh, bit of miles to get back from, I was in Buenos Aires for almost a month and a half. I uh, flew back up to Philadelphia because it was better to use the miles than paying for the flight. It was, Cause it was getting kind of ramped up again with the cost of things with the pandemic ending. So, but man, it, I always look for either or I, I shop all the above if it's points or, or the actual cost of things, whatever's better overall value. And it, it's 50% of the time, it's one or the other. Um, the, the weird part with miles is that sometimes you get a flight like two, three days out that's really good price with miles, and you can do a last minute trip on a whim. But the cost of it, like within a week to buy a flight, is astronomically high. It's always better to at least a week or two out. You know, that's, you know, that, that's a general rule of thumb when you look on travel. We had a guy on here named Dave. His episode has not been released yet, but he was telling us that he used to use SeatGeek. No, not seek couch surf. I think that's what it was called. He yeah, said it was like before Airbnb. Did you use yeah. that at all? I, I have not. I've actually slept on people's couches just because they're friends of friends and just like talk through Facebook or, or I didn't really use Instagram much. I mostly use Facebook all through my travels just because I, I like to have a friend instead of being following somebody. I'm not really a follower type, but the um, the connections I made just from traveling like in Europe and then, oh, yeah, we stayed at this place before. Talk to them. And I slept on their couch for like a couple of nights over a weekend. But the actual website, people use that a lot and they like it. It usually gets pretty good experiences. Um, hostels and stuff. I usually end up searching on a whole bunch of, you know, hostel world or whatever, or even booking. But if you can book directly with the hotel or hostel itself or the person that owns the Airbnb, whatever, it usually is a better deal. I mean, just for everybody. is They're not paying us some commission. If you have some issues, it's easier to negotiate with like cancellations and stuff like that. Um, the, the best advice I have, and this is, I found out where it is in the book. So if you're looking at the sweetest switch in Australia, which is that took place in Sydney, but there was a, a group of guys, a group of girls involved, half from U.S., half from Sweden. And that's a whole different you know story. But just before that, the very end of that uh, chapter and before that, there's like two pages worth of travel lessons. And where you're asked, it's called Acapulco is on fire. Um, that's a really good chapter, too. But uh too. I was working down in Mexico and the whole entire hotel was on fire during spring break. And we had to back, we were like volunteer firemen walking Jesus up in the, and the, the weirdest part of that night, it was a whiteout party for all our kids. We had thousands of kids going to the whiteout party. So they're all wearing white. The hotel's on fire. They're all walking out 
covered in black soot. And, you know, it was bad. I mean, no one died, thank God. But, like, dude, there was multiple, like, dozens of people that went to the hospital for, for smoke inhalation. Um, but I, I don't want to spoil that story. But at the very end of that, I, I kind of, like, told everybody you know, what to do with the, with the flights and stuff. And my short-term memory, I apologize, is horrible. The question you were asked, and I was going to relate back to the travel tip, you just asked me about something. Um, oh, it was about to say couch surf or whatever yeah. the, the website was called. That's what it was. So it was like when you're searching for stuff, um, kind of, if you go to a hostel or go to a couch surfing thing, you know, do it wisely. Like say you're in a hostel and that there's a lot of stories about people like, is it you know it's dangerous or is it uh, unsafe? Technically it can be, anywhere can be unsafe, but you got to watch your own stuff, you know, have a lock on your bag, you know, with your cash and passport, you know, you know things like that. You never know for sure. So you've actually finished the experience, but there's a whole bunch of things that, that you should you, it's, I call it common sense, but common travel sense that people don't like when I was a college kid, I would never idea like if I'm going to hostel for the first time and, and they say, oh, yeah, this place is rated five out of five. You had no issues. You leave your bag on the bed and you're good. And you come back and your your backpack's gone, your passport, and your money's in there. That's kind of on you. You, know, you can't no matter how good the reviews are with anything, you know, whether it's couch surfing, hotels, hostels, you, know, you got to travel smartly or, or you know watch your stuff <laughs> it's kind of comes back to i put always put like some money in my shoe when i go out you know, put like 20 bucks underneath my insole my uh, my sneakers you know just in case because if you would get robbed right i mean this has happened multiple times to me i mean there's a chapter where i got whacked in the head with the with a glass bottle and bleeding all over the place and they try to take my, my phone i let them take my my uh, wallet because i only had like 10 bucks in there but i still had 40 bucks 20 dollars in each of my shoes and i hell on my phone for my dear life and i ran away Four what country was that, this in this is during the <laughs> this is during the pandemic in Santiago, Chile, a notorious very safe city, which it is to an extent. The issue was they had political uprising, nothing to do with the pandemic, but just wage wars. And there was these riots going on all over the place. And we didn't know which part was going to be bad or which part would be good uh, good at, at any given time because the, the protests were going all over the place. And we're just leaving the bar in the middle of the night, like one o'clock in the morning. And there's this protest going by and then everyone got all fired up on the street corner. And I'm just walking past the next thing you know, I'm getting punched at, dodge a punch, run through. The guy whacks me in the back of head with a glass bottle and then try, and then the people start. It was just a huge scramble, dude. It was nuts. So I, I sprinted off in the middle. <laughs> My buddy went to the right. I went to the left. He never got hit with anything. He got, he got punched a little bit. But then the cost of the, the entire bill, this is the weirdest part of that story. Thank God nothing worse happened. I got away from it. Protests kept going away. We just ran away from it. I ran into the most dangerous part of the city. Mm. And granted, it's like 1.30 in the morning. There's just bums around. But uh, that's the weirdest part. I run in there. I felt safer there than I was in the safe part of town. During the, <laughs> It was just great. And I go to the hospital, dude. And they fixed me up, everything. I'm, I'm, I have pictures of this. Like the doctors give me stitches. I'm like half drunk. So it's kind of funny at the same time. I'm like half flirting with the nurses to try to get a cheaper bill. Uh, the doctor's you know, laughing his ass off because of the whole situation. I explained to him he speaks English. The rest of them don't. I'm like speaking Spanish, Spanglish to everybody else. <laughs> anyway, the stitches happened. They sent me to the front and I, I said, I have travel insurance. I said, don't worry about it. You know, you can pay it later. Just keep the receipt. And they gave me the receipt for the entire hospital ER visit and the stitches and, and even a follow-up, 150 bucks US. It was insane. Wow. That would cost like at least a grand, maybe two grand in, in the US anywhere for that same experience. <laughs> I, I got my chin busted. We were moving a hot tub over to the house. And yeah. my buddy dropped his in and I obviously was still holding mine. So the weight pulled me down and it put a big gash underneath my chin and I'm going cool. to the hospital and I only got the triage done. I left because they took too long. And, and then this person was like, Hey, don't worry <laughs> about it. So 
I get a bill for like $190. I'm like, bitch, you didn't do shit. All you fucking did was take my blood pressure, and I think they weighed me. I was like, I could have done that at Kroger. Is that because you got typed into the system? Maybe they had to charge you something? Like the allegedly, the, 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 the triage is what they were charging me for. What's triage? Just the blood pressure stuff. Yeah, the, oh. the blood pressure stuff. But like, and I wasn't gonna pay it. And then they started. They were like, "No, it's gonna go on your credit." And I was like, "Fuck you, motherfucker!" <laughs> <laughs> you should have sold. You should have sold it for like fifty bucks. I ended up getting it less than the hundred and ninety because they they did take like uh they would just said they would take whatever. I think I ended up paying like maybe like ninety bucks for it, nice. but it was still too much. For blood pressure, which I could have done for free at Kroger, and I got yeah. my, I got my chin fixed somewhere else. <laughs> so it's like fuck you, man. But like that makes it, like you said, it would have been a lot more if I would have went through the whole procedure to get stitched up at the hospital. Well, I mean, it's uh, kind of random you brought that up, but that's a chapter in the book where I'm in Calgary, Canada, and I, I to this day I have a titanium plate in my jaw. Very similar experience to what you had, but I, I've seen the medical bills. I had travel insurance, so I used it. But it was like thirty grand. Jesus um, fucking Christ, man! Yeah. So, th- th- and, and I worked in health insurance in Florida for a little bit, um, and, and seen a lot of medical bills. Dude, it's not cheap in the U.S. So that's we have very good health care. So does India. But the difference is the cost of. And I've actually gotten my dental work every time I'm in South America, Guatemala. I got a, a dental cleaning, and, and they just checked my cavities. I mean, nothing was bad. It was thirty-five bucks. If, <laughs> wow. Without, just, I think that's why a lot of Americans are so unhealthy too, because we don't want to get checked out because we know it's going to cost an arm and a leg to fucking. Dude, it's brutal, you know. I mean, if you have a good like group employer plan, it's worth it. But if you don't have insurance, I've seen the bills; it's insane. It's yeah. crazy how expensive it is. Wow. But the, on the note of the of the jaw thing, do you guys want to hear the uh, the reason why I got my jaw broken? Yeah, I was about to ask so, you what happened. <laughs> I was, this is the time I was living in San Diego on the, on like the road warrior sales, you know, outside sales thing. But I was all over Canada, and this was Halloween weekend. We happened to be there, and Halloween was on the Sunday night. It was the thirty first, and they um, and we usually worked like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We did weekend events for this real estate seminar thing. Anywho, after the like during the event, everything we're kind of learning that okay, Calgary actually. Who knew that Halloween exists in Canada? Number one, we didn't even know that. But we're learning like they're like really into us. They're decorating the whole hotel. They're like telling us what are you wearing. You know, like okay, I guess you guys do Halloween up here, huh? She's like, yeah, 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 we do. We're actually hosting the biggest party of the entire city on Sunday night. Perfect, because that's usually our night off. Usually we just chill and do nothing. It's kind of like a tiring job, like work. We work nonstop for three days straight. But because that was going on, we had to like you know live a little local culture, right, and experience the the whole you know scene. So the hotel's hosting this huge, big mega Halloween event, and there's and. We like impromptu got costumes from the front desk. It felt like a drug deal going down. We're like, yo, we don't have time to work. Can you like hook us up with some costumes? You pay five bucks each, you know, on our table. And the, the front desk reception is like, hell yeah, we'll get you some vampire teeth. So she got, so I'll dress up like vampires and, and tipped her some money for getting the, the costumes for us. <laughs> so we're, we're done the event on Sunday night at dinner. I had to like stay, I'm the event coordinator. So I'm like staying late uh, with another coworker of mine and we're cleaning up the ballroom and everything. Everyone else is at dinner. Um, they got changed already. They're full, full like vampire garb. He, she and I show up to dinner, had to still like eat dinner while putting makeup and, and teeth on and everything. And we finally good to go walk over to the, the ballroom, everything where the big events happen. There's this huge line. We didn't expect this at all. This line's going like all the way out and around the hotel. So like crap. So the, the main, um, not like the CEO of the company, but the main guy of that weekend, you know, uh, pitched in for like a, a VIP table, kind of like you would any, any nightclub anyway. Uh, so like, cool, great. So we skipped the line and because it was already 10 of us. So it made sense to do it that way instead of paying for drinks at the bar. So we all pitched in a little bit. 
And we get to this VIP table, and it's kind of early. It's like 11, 11.30. And Calgary, who knew that it would be like a late-night thing, too? Apparently, their nightlife doesn't start till midnight or whatever, kind of like you know Vegas or whatever. So the, we, we're watching all these people filter in. We had some drinks already, which is kind of cool. And next thing you know, it's like a full-packed house, like maybe probably like 1 a.m., somewhere in there. This is when we, we definitely had too much fun. I know that for sure. But the issue lies where – it was a lot of guys. It was a lot. Of, and we were just three single guys. The girls were loving it. They were out there having their fun because it's a, a group of guys and girls. But the actual venue was really, really cool costumes. I mean, there was like a full life-size Transformer dude walking around. I'm trying cool. to remember. It looked like, looked like Bumblebee. I can't remember the exact ones off the top of my head, but it was like legit Halloween in America, but in Calgary, Canada. Who knew? Um, so we finally decided like migrate, you know, kind of like go fishing, whatever you call it. And we left two people back at the, the table just to watch over the stuff. And we kind of walk around the girls right away, like start dancing with three other guys. So they're out. And the three of us other guys keep going around and couldn't find anything. But we see on a very far side of the dance floor, there's two VIP tables of girls all decked out in like really sexy, like costumes and stuff like that. It's like, all right, gold mine. We're good. <laughs> so we like beeline it over there. And I noticed there's a couple of guys in the third stall. didn't really think much of it. Uh, so we go to the far left one first. Uh, my buddy's he's talking to one girl, you know, trying to see if anything happens. It's just her, him and one girl talking. All the rest of her friends are sitting back pretty far away on, on the VIP table, wanting nothing to do with us. So it wasn't really vibing. So we, my other buddy and I slid over to the right in the middle table. And like all three girls come out. It was like a little Bo Peep costume. I think it was a little Red Riding Hood. There was something else. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they were like fully decked out, looked great. So like we're all in. And the one girl keeps leaning over to me and talking and, and it was really loud. Like the music's pulsating really loud, everything. So I'm like, hey, what's your name? And I try to yell it out real, too, real quick to her. I lean in, like trying to like put my right ear up to her to, to hear what she's saying. Instead of her talking, all I hear in my left ear is, Hey, that's my girlfriend. And then I like turn around and bang, I just get whacked oh, in the face, like fun. completely cold clocked. And it, I did, I, I was knocked out. I mean, I got hit hard. For better or for worse, I'm kind of like not feeling that bad as it wasn't some strong guy. This ended up being an NHL Calgary Flames player. <laughs> so he cold clocks me because I'm hitting on his girlfriend who's dressed up like, you know, sexy, whatever. And she's talking to me. I didn't know any better. And dude, I'm like, give me a benefit of doubt. Anyway, long story short, I'm like out like cold. Everyone's screaming and frankening out. The girl takes the guy back to their table. And then, you know, obviously her friends are talking to my friend about why that entire happened. They were like very insecure in a relationship and the timing was awful. I just, Wrong place, wrong time. So the next thing I know, I figured, you know, they actually take me back outside by the by the security. They sent me to bed with my buddy. I was good enough to walk. I didn't need to go to ER, but I was like down. So I just slept it off. The next day, I was staying longer than God, but a lot of people left in their flights or texting me like, dude, you alive? You okay? I can't believe you got you know struck in the face by, by a hockey player. It's crazy. I'm like, I didn't even know that until the next morning that happened. So I'm like, I just felt like crap. So I slept the, literally the entire day. And then we were going to Banff up by the mountains, another coworker of mine for like the midweek. And then I was going to fly back. I think it was like Wednesday night just to see it while we're there. Lake Louise is beautiful. So this entire time, I didn't realize the, the jaw is fractured, number one. So I'm just thinking it's a bruise, hoping for the best, planning for the worst type of thing. Finger, worst case is I'll, I'll take care of it when I get home. Um, but it just keeps like pounding. So we're, we're toying around. I'm wearing this like bright blue, like look like a blueberry Uh big Parker jacket. And then we're touring Lake Louise doing all these cool photos and everything I drove, but I just, I couldn't take anymore. So we flew back, go to San Diego. I finally get some medicine. Uh, I didn't go to a hospital per se, but I went to a friend who's a, like, um, they work at hospitals and she gave me some, like some medicine that would actually like help the like painkiller stuff. 
which it felt good. I said, all right. So it probably was just a Drew bruise, whatever. I'll be good. I'll be good to work. The next Friday, I had to fly out to Dallas. I think it was Thursday night I flew there. Yeah, Thursday night. So I fly out Thursday night to Dallas, Texas for another event to work. And then Friday, all day work, set up the ballroom, do the actual event and everything. I was just in aggravating pain. I ran out of the painkillers. I couldn't take any more. So I go to the ER that night and they, they, and it reminded me of Harold and Kumar. The doctors looked identical to these guys, like the same facial expressions and the voice, everything. So I'm trying to put it in perspective. He's like, all right, we'll take some X-rays. We'll take you in. I gave him my travel insurance. So that was all good. And then, cause I was technically traveling both times. So that helped. And then, um, they take me in and they show me the fracture. Like, dude, I don't know what you did. I didn't tell him the story yet, but I finally told him afterwards, but like you have a major hairline fracture right on your mandible, like straight across and it's like separated already. So I'm like, crap. So now what? It's like, well, two choices. You can like staple your jaw shut for months, drink out a straw and that's it. Or maybe even two months. And that, that's all she wrote. And you're just out of commission completely. Or option B, we can do this experimental surgery. Uh, we haven't done it ourselves yet, but it has been proven to work effectively with our colleagues and, and so forth. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm like, sign me up for that. But I could actually like open my mouth and still talk a little bit. Um, I just only would able to be able to eat like applesauce or mashed potatoes, things like that. So I, I let them do their thing. I trusted them. They seem cool. <laughs> I'm not medically savvy at all, but like it was at Baylor. It was like a legit good hospital. So in Dallas. Um so I kind of like did the trust thing and let them do the thing. And I, I go into surgery the next morning. I got to find this photo. It's somewhere in, in my like old files, but I woke up and my face looks like, like a swollen, you know, Will Smith and uh, hitch, you know, you get that allergic reaction. Oh yeah. Yeah. My face looked double the size of that. It was just the entire like jaw and, and mouth area. It looked like a big balloon, like exploding. But the good news is the surgery went well. And it was just a matter of letting the swelling go down and healing at that point for the next, you know, three, four, five weeks. <laughs> so, but oh, yeah, man. God, man. That's all because some jealous motherfucker. Or just, I, yeah, whatever, I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, hockey is a, a sport that I always say you go to a fight and you end up walking, watching a hockey match anyway. So <laughs> for, for sure. I don't, I don't really blame the guy. It's just in his nature. You know, it's like, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the timing sucked. So that that whole uh, you know, ordeal, and I was kind of like out of work. Thank God I didn't have to work that final weekend. So that let me heal a little bit. And I eventually went to the other, other the week after that and worked again. But it was uh, it didn't look right. Like my jaw, it's fine today, but I had these arch bars on there. So like I didn't want to like talk too much, but I could still eat food and function instead of the ballroom. So kind of just it is what it is. <laughs> was it painful is- eating before you got the surgery? Oh yeah. That whole week, dude, it was brutal. That that's what I, I was, I'm very stubborn. And that I always joke, like I'm, I'm like a mutt in Europe. I'm like, uh, what do you call it? UK, I'm British, German, Dutch. And I'm, but my, my mom's side is like mostly Polish. Mm-hmm. I'm very stubborn because of that heritage and it, it for better, or for worse. But I was just like, yeah, I got this. I'm good. I'm, I'm trying to like be manly about it. Cause I got punched, you know? <laughs> so I'm trying to say, yeah, it's just a bruise. I, I'm, I'm walking off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But nope, <laughs> complete like fracture. The guy, the guy knows his, uh, his punch. So wow. it was very broad. In the word. Jesus, but yeah. man. But yeah, I can relate to the, 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 the chin part just because, you know, <laughs> both had major injuries in that, that area. It's just yeah. not fun. <laughs> what wow. was worse, the recovery or like actually, your story is better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> you got knocked out by a hot tub. Well, not hot tub, but you got hit by a hot tub. It was just random. I mean, it's not even the jaw breaking, but who – I never in my million years would have expected Calgary, Canada to have that big of a Halloween party scene. That's yeah. just the weird part of it. 
it, all of it together was like a you know kind of cool story but um no the actual worst part probably was right after surgery when the big swelling was there it just it, it was like oh crap i'm done i won't have like a normal i'll just look you know it's like when you get those um the, the fire the burns and stuff on your face and you have all this look, oh, you look yeah. like a mummy. I had this image like I'm going to be mummified for the next you know, five years or, or more, but it, it turned out to be okay. The, the guy did a great job in surgery. So if anybody's ever in Dallas, go to Baylor. They were great. <laughs> Do you have to carry like paperwork saying that you have a titanium plate in your, your chin? Yeah, that was, that, that's weird. That's the first thing I thought of. I said, well, dude, how am I going to, I travel a lot. I'm able to go through these metal detectors. It doesn't set it off, which huh. is crazy because you know, they don't let you take golf clubs through, which are mostly titanium. So maybe it doesn't go through if you take a golf club. I don't know. But I, I never set off the uh, metal detectors, and it, it obviously it's changed for better. I think they have a Smith machine now, and some advanced thing when you stamp with your hand straight up. That's not necessarily metal detectors anymore. That's just like a full body scan. But that definitely shows up when I do full body scan. But they know it's internal. They know it's on my my bone and not like in my mouth, like to carry a blade. When it you, shows that it's stapled. When you travel, do you go bougie at all? Like, do you do like? Uh the lounges or first class or business class or anything like that? Good question. As of late, no, like it was for leisure. No. Um, but plus during the pandemic, this is like a, a, a mulligan in the, the normal world, but like, and it need to, you know, we were talking about earlier, we had the entire road to ourselves, so we didn't really need to pay for upgrades, stuff like that. But in the, 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 the working Brad era, when I was like a road warrior, yeah. Um, why not take the perks? I mean, dude, we were traveling so much all the time. Every week I lived on an airplane. So they just comped us the entry into the the lounge because we had like status with the, with the airline. And if, if you're, if there's any business travelers listening, obviously you probably mostly know this too, but if you're becoming one, try to pick an airline you, you're going to have a lot of routes with. Like I'm in, if I'm in Philly, I'd pick American because it's a hub for them to live in San Diego. You can pick like a handful of them, which I did at the time. I just picked Delta a lot because I actually like Atlanta's airport for some people hate it, but I think the train system, the straight shot, it's like very easy to get from point A to point B. Versus somewhere like Dallas. Dallas is insane. There's like a big roundabout monorail that goes around and around. It takes forever to get from point A to point B. Um, but my point is, if you're traveling a lot, try to pick an airline that you can get miles and points on because it adds up. You get that stuff for free. You get free upgrades a lot of time. Um, even if you're just traveling for leisure, or you're retired going somewhere. Try to pick a company or airline that you, you're going to like a, a lot and use a lot because you get perks that way. It helps. But I don't. I don't really need to do it. I just did it because it was free at the time when I was traveling for business. But for leisure, nah. I don't. I'm not a big bougie. I'm like the most middle class, three and a half, four star person you'll ever meet. I don't really need five star. I actually hate five star stuff because it's weird. You stay at Hampton Inn, you get free breakfast, and the breakfast is bomb. You stay at a Ritz Carlton, you got to pay ten bucks for <laughs> like one egg. Yeah. Makes no sense. Yeah, that is so true. So, have you <laughs> been to every continent? Not Antarctica. I don't really have a desire to go there, but every other one, yes. So that's the way I feel about certain places. Like I know people that want to go to every country, and I'm like, why? I guess yeah, they're like would. they're like chasing stamps, pretty much. Because I remember when yeah, we I mean, were, I went to um, I went to Barcelona, and I was with some friends, and they wanted to go some little country. I can't remember where it was at or what it's called, but like that's all people do is just go get a stamp there. Monaco. It's real close to Barcelona. And that wasn't. I can't think. I'll have to. Ask my friends, but they're oh, like Gibraltar in the southern part of Spain. Gibraltar yeah, and Monaco are tiny, but they they technically are countries. Because I know they were saying like there's like a duty free shop or something there that you can get like cheap shit. But uh, they were getting up super early, and I'm like, I'm good, man. I, I don't get that bad. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been to Europe and 
Spain, so that's close enough for me. No, I, I totally agree with you. I'm more of a down to earth thing. I'm not trying to chase some world record like that. I do this mainly because of personal interest, nothing to do with actual numbers or anything like that. Um, I just, I'm very, very curious. I've always been that way as a kid, man. I, I was, the, I was the baby. that was going around grabbing every doorknob and you know trying to open every cabinet. It's just ingrained in my blood. I just like, I'm very curious all the time. So I, I like to learn about stuff. Places uh, did we both, did we all of us answer the one that we want to go to and place we the favorite place we've been or no. I, yeah, I said uh, Washington State's like the prettiest place I've been. And then the Thailand. I to go to Thailand. All right, I remember yeah, that one. The place, place I want to go that I haven't been, and it's really random. It's like a, it's like a Thai. It's, it's Nepal and Bhutan, which is you know the Himalayas. It's Mount Everest. And I have zero desire to, to, to hike Mount Everest. I just want to go to actual the countries themselves because of the people that are there. Mm. They see everyone I've, I've talked to that have been and I, you know, I always ask, another question that gets asked, like, what's the friendliest people in the world? For me personally, Madison, Wisconsin, like Wisconsin had the the friendliest people I've ever met. Really? Period. Like, yeah, there's just overly, they're very hostile. Norwegians were nice too. I mean, I, you could literally hitchhike in Norway and not have any issues. It'd be safer than, than paying first class for whatever. But, um, but Madison, Wisconsin comes up, but everyone that has been to Nepal and Himalayas and Bhutan says when you're there, even Mongolia too, they just embrace the, uh, the tourism aspect because it's so rare, especially Bhutan, you know, because that's like in the middle of nowhere between China and, and Nepal, like above the India there. It's just, they don't get tourism, like, like a place like Italy, which has it every day yeah. or France. So yeah, I, I just, I'm sorry, cool. go ahead. No, it'd just be cool to go. I like the off the, off the beaten path stuff like that at this point. Um, just because people haven't been there. I like to, I'm curious, man. I like to learn where people haven't been yet and see other cultures. It's cool. Yeah. I just booked a girl, um, a woman from Nepal the other day on the podcast and she's like, how'd you find me? And she, I was just I'm telling, I was like, I was just scrolling on Instagram on the Explorer page and there was a picture of something you were doing and it appealed to me. So I clicked it and then I sent That's you a right. message and she was like, Oh, thank you so much. And like, so that's like our first person from Nepal that's going to be on the podcast. That's, that's really cool. I think. Well, that's cool. This is this is randomly how I'll meet people. Like if I go to Nepal sometime in the next year, her and I, I, I got to take a picture with her, send a selfie to you, and, and we'll yeah, you know, for see. sure. <laughs> that that kind of stuff. That's why I like doing this. That's the fun part. My my personal passion isn't even travel. It's just bringing people together. Period. Hence the event coordination and, and group travel stuff like that. And everyone that's going on a group trip, we can all agree that you've made friends at some point. Yeah, yeah, it might not happen every single time, but you you have someone in your network, whether you're listening here or with you guys or or just people at home here, you always gain friendships from an experience like that, whether it's a, a trip to Miami like you guys did. You probably met some people there you still talk to or some extreme world you know tour. That you t- I'm sure from Tanzania when you went to Africa, you still talk to some people from that trip. You know, unless you're going on a you know, two-person solo honeymoon to Maldives or Tahiti, those are like, they're not really group travel, but when you go as an actual group or you stay at a hostel, dude, I've had more friends from trips and in, in college, obviously too, because you're always together. But th- those like the, the memories and the friendships, the lifelong friendships I made that, that I, no matter what, how cost things are, if I made a million bucks, two million, whatever, no money in the world can take that away of that's always more important. The memories and the people that you meet and the friendships you have that that's like ingrained to me. Yeah, that's so true. That is very true. So what was your experience in Norway like? Because I'm supposed to go there in September. That's actually a good month. It would be a little cold, but not like unfathomable. Uh, you can still get away with it. But um, how long do you have? A week or two weeks? Uh, or, I think it's almost two weeks. That's good. So you'll be able to see everything. Um, 
I, I tell people that you can get away with it in a week. And the reason why depends on the flight, you the airline where you fly into Bergen and Stavanger or on the Western side. Those are the two. If people only have a week, I would utilize flying to Stavanger and leave out of Bergen or vice versa. The reason why is because everything in between those two is the best period. And I went all the way through central Norway, all the way over to Oslo, which is on the East coast. Kind of like if you're comparing, not the size of the U S but you're comparing the West coast, to the East coast, the, the better part, the better stuff, the mountains, the views, the, the cities themselves was on the Western side of Norway. But if you got two weeks, you'll do it all. It's just, you, when you get towards October, it's like numbing cold. It will already be cold as it is. I was fortunate to get there in early August. So we can do hiking. It was actually sunny. I still had short sleeves on. But um, you're going to be right on the cusp of it turning colder. So you'll get some days that are just like brutal, but some days will be nice. So mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. But um, very, very, very safe, very expensive, though. So very similar to what we we're talking about with the Bahamas. Yeah. The cost, actually, it's higher than the U.S. So expect to pay, say in South Beach, it costs, you know, 10 bucks for a beer. It might be $12 for a beer there. It's that high. It's a very, very expensive country. So that's the caveat. With that being said, it's absolutely one of my favorites for for photos. I, I call it my most photogenic hiking country in the world. And not so much for the hike itself, like Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro, things like that for, for avid hikers, but the actual quality of photos and the, and the visuals you're going to get, hands down, Norway is the best in the world. No question asked. Is Did that where the northern that? lights are? You can see them there, yeah. Um, if awesome. You'll have a step later because you'll still get longer daylight. Like The northern lights are easier to see in the pitch black. So in the summertime, it's like, always sunny it's crazy like you're up at 11 p.m partying away and it's like daylight out it's really weird it happened in iceland too but if you get towards september october it might be more like dark at like 10 or 11 p.m and so you, you, still, you just had to step later but if you get out at like midnight or 1 a.m and and go where there's an app i forget the name of it but in the iceland story i wrote about like chapter four we met this couple who this guy was like a complete like computer uh, you know nerd and everything. He had this app that would track the actual gases for the northern lights, just like a weather radar tracks, Doppler radar tracks clouds and precipitation. He was tracking the natural gases, and the he said, "Don't go tonight. Let's wait two nights, and we'll we'll all go out. We'll split a car." So that's exactly what we did. We followed his lead, dude. This guy just goes all the way up north, like of Reykjavik, winding through all these tunnels and the hills and everything, and it's like pitch black, eleven, twelve. I think it was 11 o'clock at night by the time we got up there. And in the distance, like as we got out of the tunnel, the one girl's like, ah, she screams. And there's like the big glowing green light. So everyone's freaking out. It was cool. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you can do that as well in, in uh, Finland, anywhere in, in Scandinavia. Norway is definitely one of them. The further north you go, the better chance you have. But look at just like weather with the hurricane or with clouds or precipitation. There's some app. You could probably Google it. Uh, I don't know what exact one it was he was using. But there's definitely a higher percent of it happening, and it's all natural gas. It, it looks freaking creepy. It looks like aliens coming at you, and that's actually the title of the chapter. It's called Caviar and Aliens in Iceland because it's if it's really strong and it gets down towards the actual like ground level, which it did the night we were there, dude, it, and plus, plus we were drinking a little bit, so <laughs> it added up to be like, <laughs> holy shit, we're getting abducted by aliens. We we're freaking out, and the best part, of, I don't want to spill the whole story, but the entire time we're freaking out and the caviar thing came into play because we were with this really rich dude who looked like Bruce, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so he's buying caviar for everyone going up there and we're eating. I never eat caviar before. It's, it's like salty fish eggs. It tastes terrible, but it was part of the experience. And next thing you know is he gets hit in the head with a rock. Well, he thought it was like an alien hit him. So he, <laughs> he tosses the caviar all over everybody and we start running back to the car. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole time we were in some farmland of a farmer that we didn't know that was there. 
we thought it was just vacant, but apparently the guy walks out. I don't know if he's carrying a gun or whatever, but he's throwing rocks at us to get off his property. We thought it was the actual like Northern Lights, like Aliens Land. So <laughs> That's <laughs> fucking crazy, man. Yeah. But it, dude, it's cool. It's worth seeing. It's just uh, if you get it really strong, you'll have that that wow factor of like what the hell is happening. Because yeah. when it's far away, it's it looks cool. It's like it's it's neat to see. But when it's like you're right in the middle of it, like say you're in the middle of a hurricane, it's almost too much. Does that mm. makes sense. Like a hurricane's kind of fun to sit it out and wait. You know, if everybody, I lived in, I lived through uh, Hurricane Charlie in Orlando, and right in the middle of the eye of the storm, totally fine. But before and after that, dude, the the palm trees are completely sideways. It's hell on earth. So it's not fun. But uh, it's a scary moment when it's that strong of the gas is coming down on you. It's just, it's really, really bright green. It's gets cool to see from afar, but when it gets close to you, it kind of freaks you out. So, how did you come about writing a book? Like how did that whole oh, process man. start? I obviously have a lot of stories, but like what made you decide to put the pen to paper? That's a great question. Um, I didn't really think about this too much, but the, the main reason why is my personal why is, is we talked about like being retired and stuff like that. I want to be able to share these stories with, if I'm just dead and gone, I want to be able to have it like passed on to my kids as one day. So whether this book does really well or doesn't do well at all, I don't care. I just want to do it because it's authentic. It's my personal experiences. So that was the main reason why, but more importantly of, of, why time and like the time thing we we're talking about and why now is everyone kept, like, I was doing a lot of videos and stuff, nothing to do with like trying to make money just for friends and family. And the main reason is my family can't like, my dad doesn't walk well. My mom can't walk well, a bad hip, a bad calf and he had Lyme disease, diabetes, heart, heart transplant, you name it. And he's always had this dream of traveling as he's retired and we got some trips in, but he's just physically not able to do that anymore. So I'm sending a lot of videos to them and my aunts and uncles and obviously all the friends are, you know, you and I talked to like Tito, things like that. Um, and people are just constantly saying, dude, you got to do this vlog. You got to do this vlog because you're making money off it. The problem with that for me personally, and people do real well. Some people love it. I hate carrying a camera all the time, especially when you're eating food mm. or you're like trying to talk to someone authentically, you know, it, it's just, it, it's a turnoff to me. Um, you're being filmed the entire time. It's not real. It can be real if you have like a secret camera, but you know, I don't, I'm not trying to do that stuff. But that was my initial like spark of like, all right, so there's definitely demand for people that want to learn more and see more and stuff like that. Obviously, video is going to be a little higher demand than, than reading a book, but there's definitely a massive book market, huge. People read all the time. Most of it's fiction, though. That's where the, the idea kind of got sparked. And well, a lot of these trips kind of read like fiction anyway. Might as well just ran down. And then I'm in, where was I? I was in Philly for a couple months last summer. I mean, this book it has, has been on like, fast paced ever since August 1st last year, August 1st, I'm on a rooftop in South Philly, just watching the sunset. And I, I start writing down the first chapter of the Thailand one, because I was thinking about going to Thailand in, in a month or two to visit Dave, which ended up happening. So I write that story down. I'm like, dude, this could, I could write like two or three books worth of this stuff. And it's actually like legit. It sounds like fiction. So it kind of took off starting from that moment. And the reason why I, I called rooftop diaries is because I was on a rooftop when I started. And for some reason, my memory is not that good. It's like my short-term memory. I can't remember stuff that well. But if I'm just chilling up there and looking out, like, and I call it the nothing box. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a comedian talking about the nothing box, but think of when you go fishing out in a pond, right? And you're just throwing the lure out there. Nothing's happening. Dude, it is therapeutic. For me, the nothing box is when I'm on top of a rooftop, just chilling and staring off into the, the abyss because you're high above and looking out at everything. So that's how the whole thing initiated was last August. I wrote down the, the, the Thailand chapter, chapter one, and it kind of took off from there. And then I was like, all right, so I have time in Thailand to quarantine, quote unquote, for like two weeks. So I can kind of like keep writing these stories while I'm like uh, just exploring more. So it just kept going from there. And then, and then I really started grooving when I went down to Columbia 
I was on a rooftop again there. So I just, it just started a trend. It wasn't really on purpose. It just happened because I got to thank all my friends and family for saying, do this vlog thing because I didn't really do that vlog thing, but I ended up writing a book about it. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they enjoy the stories from it. But um, yeah, I'm very visual. I'm a, I'm a movie guy. I'm not a big book guy, but I, I'm a very, very big fan of Anthony Bourdain. Very big fan of Richard Branson, and they're all travel industry like buffs. I mean, Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines, and he actually has his own like Virgin Orbit. I mean, he's, he's talking about take, taking people to space now, so he's definitely an influence on me. And Anthony Bourdain was a legend. With that being said, he did the video route. You know, he went on TV. That's a that takes a toll on you. I've I've had a little taste of that lifestyle of being a road warrior, man. It's tough. You're never home, especially if you have family and kids. It is not an easy lifestyle. It might be very lucrative, but. I'm not a five. We already talked about this. I'm not a five star hotel guy. I, I'm fine just living middle class life, dude. I want some time, enjoy with some family and kids. So the book was a perfect medium. It, it I had the time for this past year to do it. I can keep writing more, like volume two, volume three, but we'll see what that. I'm not really playing much more, you know, one, one month at a time at this point, but we'll see how it does and, and go from there. So do you self publish or do you have a publisher? I did self publish. So I actually was, I had an interest from a publisher and I'm going to kind of, spilled the beans in the industry and the reason why is i'm not in it for fame um i'm in it because i wanted to have it more of just a personal story to tell again i'm looking at if i have a hand you know you, everyone in their family has hand-me-downs of stuff like that this is kind of like a cool thing to say hey my dad wrote a book this is the book how he wanted it so also the the industry itself <laughs> the new york times when they say bestseller things like that it doesn't even need to sell that much you have to it's like a cult you have to like go through this whole regimen thing of kind of like uh, going in a fraternity. It, it just, you got to go through like the initiation, all that stuff. You got to qualify. All, it just, it, it's very selective on what they want based on their visions. Mm. So a New York times bestseller doesn't necessarily mean it's an Amazon bestseller. Both of them. And it's weird. Some of both of them are going to do very well because of the title on there. But in Amazon, if it's self-published, for example, what the hell was the name of the book? It was a uh, couch and, uh, the, the tiger, uh, crouching tiger, hidden dragon was self-published did outstanding, but it actually wasn't founded until like years after it was actually self-published point being is that their royalties, you know, especially with Amazon, you can get like 50, 60, 70% royalty on your own book itself versus oh, wow. if you did, really, you can depends on which ad, you always have to factor in your marketing. That's number one. Your marketing is going to cost a lot. So I look at the actual net, Reality, it's going to be like maybe 40, 50% because you do have to put in some marketing money on it and time. Time's a big one. Now, if you go the published route with an actual like publisher, your time, you're just writing stuff. They're doing all the editing. They're doing the, the book cover. They're doing the marketing for you. The marketing is the most expensive. So you're going to end up netting maybe like 5, 10, 20% tops total from that. But you look at your total volume sold. If you can get it in the New York Times bestseller, you're almost guaranteed to sell tons and tons of copies. So it depends on your personal preference, I'd say, but me, for me, I wanted to have it more authentic and more direct. And that's just it. And I look at David Goggins, he actually, uh, and Tucker Max too. Tucker Max is a very big influence on this because he wrote short stories about his colleges, college days. Do you guys know who he is or no? Tucker Max. I don't have, I haven't heard yeah, of that guy's like done on like complete 180 with his life now. Yeah, He's exactly. Like a family man. <laughs> I saw Absolutely. Like a post on a, I forget what he was like farming. I think it was farming or some of his kids or some shit. They're awesome family and kids, man. And that, and the reason why he's able to do that is because he doesn't have to keep doing videos mm. or anything like that. He wrote a really good quality. In my opinion, I mean, it's very vulgar. It's not for everybody. Yeah. A lot of curse on that, but, but it was very, very funny. 
is very comedic. And you have to take that type of book with a grain of salt. That's not my personal style. That's his style. But the reason I like him for that, he's a pioneer. He's a, he's a trailblazer in the book industry because he wrote short stories and, and, and became a New York Times bestseller because of that. And not everybody can say that. Short stories usually don't do that well financially at all. Mm. Now, this is a mix. This is kind of like half novel, half short stories. It's a, it's a, it's a potpourri of everything. Um, but the, the actual way the book flows with Rooftop Diaries, it brings the reader on a trip. Like your, your very first thing you see is pack your bags. You know, you're actually, I'm taking you on a flight around the world is what I'm doing. And each time between chapters, we're just happen to be in a different country. So that's kind of how it flows. But each story is their own independent things. Some things resonate with others, but in general, it's short stories. So I got to thank him for that. And and he started a company called Scribe Media. I also want to give a shout out to them because they have a lot of, if anybody's thinking about writing a book, you need time. It takes a lot of freaking time. If you don't have that, it's not worth your time. But if you have some time on your side, you want to do it. Scribe Media was a very, very good and, and it's, it's founded by Tucker Max, but um, it has nothing to do with his book. It's just guidance of what he learned and, and redid through his experiences. And that actually will help him down the road get some some future funds too on just self-automation from the website and, and coaching. The reason why I like that in particular is because David Goggins was a Navy SEAL who wrote his life story. It's a very good book. There's two versions. I always tell my parents, like older family, like you got to get the PG rated one, the the one that's filtered a little bit more. And if you're like someone 20, 30 something, you don't care about cursing, just get the original. Yeah. With, with that being said, David Goggins, it's uh, can't hurt me. That book alone is sold like 4 million copies and he self published. Wow. Do the math. If you have that much higher percent per book royalty and you're selling 4 million copies, granted his marking is phenomenal. And his life story was that good. I'm going to give him credit. His life story is better than mine. I think that is one of the books that everybody should read just because it's, it's, it's like a page turner and it's a wow moment. This is more of a fun read. You want to go to the beach. You want to have an air, airplane book. You want to have something just before you go to bed. You just want to let la- kind of like you watch a comedy before you go to bed with a TV show, TV series, and you like travel. Rooftop Diaries is your speed. If you want like a, an actual like, and this actually, Rooftop Diaries has a lot of uh, motivational stuff engraved in it, but it's not the main purpose. It's more like travel and comedy. Can't hurt me is definitely motivational for anybody, for guys, girls, families, whatever. And that that's a very good book. But the fact that he self-published, that was a main core reason I, I kind of made that choice to go to self-publish. Because if it does that well, then it's you know it's my own personal stuff how I how I personally wanted it. And all my friends and family had a lot of. By the way, shout out to the to the review team because I had I had like three months of like the raw script. That was the fun part, just writing it. The editing is a bitch. The editing, I had all my friends and family help me. And and not all, but everybody that read a lot. I kind of like did this big, huge post on Facebook. And we got like three, 4,000 people we were involved with. But a good like maybe 50 or 100 kind of like really, really, really pitched in and said, here, I'm going to read this chapter and I'm going to read this chapter. I had people that are from Slovenia. There's a chapter in Slovenia. I had them fact check me because I didn't have a full like editing team. So I literally went straight to the source of each chapter in Tokyo, Manko, Manko is our friend we met in Tokyo on the airline on the airport, and she helped me authenticate the stuff in Tokyo too, make sure it's all legit. Most of it was good, but here and there I had to change like the pronunciation or spelling of certain like landmarks. So it was definitely a team effort on that part, but it was all self-selected. It wasn't picked by you know a publishing company, which I kind of I like that style better. It's just personal preference. And now I will leave with on this subject the the cover designer. Really fun story with the the cover design. Um, we were toying around with just going like animated or just something simple. Um, 
And we thought about doing it. And we still might do something fun for that during Comic-Con week. Because I used to live in San Diego. A lot of friends, that, again, I'm, I'm like a half nerd. So I'm into that stuff. I want to do like an anatomy or Comic-Con edition for like just the week of Comic-Con and, and do like a some limited edition. So stay tuned on Amazon or stay tuned on Facebook um, or even on Instagram, Brad and Nomad 85 for that type of stuff. If you're into that type of cartoon things or Comic-Con stuff. But the actual cover design that's full-time was done by Blake. And the reason why, I'm in Buenos Aires. Yeah, when it's in Argentina, um, <laughs> there's a funny story before that, but we're just sitting in the lobby. I'm just editing away, and he's sitting down like two rows down, two, two seats down. There's a whole bunch of us that are digital nomads at that point. I'm, I'm not a nomad or a digital nomad. I'm just editing a book. But these guys are like graphic designers. They work full-time from a laptop wherever they want, want to be. He's actually in Central, Central America right now, bopping around. But the timing worked out perfect because I was talking to all my friends and family back home of, of who's available to do. I have a lot of friends that are graphic designers, but they were already on other projects. They do very well. They do. They work for like Apple. They work for Google, things like that. So I don't want to bother them with the time because this is like strictly uh, uh, commission-based is the word I would use or, or incentive-based on how the book does. So with Blake in particular, he was there and had some free time on the side. So it took a little longer, but the quality he, of stuff he does, I think the book cover turned out great. Not so much for the photos, but the the kind of like the three day imaging style. It looks kind of neat. It like pops off the page, but it randomly. I didn't know him until that trip in Buenos Aires while I'm editing. Now I got a lifelong friend from that. You know, because you know he's a, he's got a part of the um, what do you call it? The royalties for the book as well. So if the book does well, he does well. Yeah, you know, team effort. And I got the audit and his buddy from college. He went to school in Georgia. Uh, I was shopping for Audible, like someone to, to talk about the book. Obviously, you guys can tell I mumble. I talk way too fast. If I'm reading this thing, it'll be done in like 10 minutes. So I want someone that actually has a good voice. You guys would be good readers too, but you got the podcast. But his buddy, his college uh, frat mate from, from college, ends up like, yeah, dude, I like this book. I like travel. I'll read it. So done. It just it worked out that way. So that, it's kind of like a full team effort with the Audible going in too. So he'll get some royalties on that and, and moving forward, we'll see how it does. But it's kind of quirky how things work out between self-published versus having a full company do it for you. And and def- definitely the long-term royalties involved in between each. So from start to finish, how long would you say it took? I, mean, I started literally the first word was August 1st of last year. So less than, the, less than three quarters a year. The actual narrative is all in my brain. Mm. I just need a place to escape to think of and get it down on paper. So I'm like mostly in Thailand, John Oe, I was in Phuket, I was in uh, Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai. I took a like in between writing, like I would do a full day writing. I'd write like two chapters a, a morning, afternoon, split up with lunch. And then I would take an entire full day and just get off the grid and reboot. Like I just, I remember this image in Chiang Rai, which is very, very, very far North Thailand. Not necessarily that I recommend it, but I like the off the grid stuff. And I'm trying to get into Burma while they're on a, a coup. So this is like a kind of a cool story thing. And I take this uh, dirt bike all along the coast and the roads closed. You have to show your passport. Like, whatever. So I go through there and I'm technically in Myanmar and Burma for like an hour driving along this road up way up on the, the mountaintops in northern Thailand, completely off the grid. I don't even have cell service, nothing. I'm snapping these photos and everything, come back through into Thailand again. I'm like, nah, that's not good enough. I got to actually like set foot in this thing. So I go down the side street, like uh, where rice paddies are and everything. And the family's looking at me, what the hell is this gringo doing here? You know, I'm going by on a dirt bike and it's during a pandemic. I don't have any tourists to begin with. <laughs> so it was a double like wow factor for them. And I go straight up to the army uh, guard at the, the, the river there. Uh, and there's this little pathway that goes across the river to Burma, which I could technically get shot if I set foot on it, but it was just so remote. I didn't think there was any risk there. So he's like, okay, fine. 
you have to give me your passport. I'll hold it. You have to come back and get it within less than 10 minutes. So I literally like treaded like this shallow water over in the Myanmar, Burma, took a picture and went back and then got my passport again. So I technically have been to Burma and Myanmar during a coup in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, I'm not going to count as my, but that would, that would be the 80th country. I'm not counting it, but the storyline is kind of freaking cool. Like who else can say that? <laughs> like, nope, nobody, uh, nobody. It's ridiculous. Hey, so what that, is, that what is, uh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just that kind of stuff. That's what, that's kind of like, that's what the, uh, so that kind of fired me up again. And I went back to work and like, quote unquote work and writing the next day on a rooftop in, in uh, Chiang Rai. So that's how I split up the time. I did really weird stuff like off the grid during the pandemic when I could. I'm not like going to like group concerts and people are worried about that. So I'm not spreading COVID. I'm just out in the middle of freaking nowhere in the farmland in Thailand. You know, that, yeah, that's just kind of cool. It was neat. Have you been to North Korea? No, I don't, I don't know if I would go there. Maybe if it was like, that's a very good question. And I compare it to Venezuela. Like I would love to go, but in Russia right now too, same thing. I would love to go, but given the status, like it's such a, it's, it's big, a bigger hassle just to get in because of the, the issues with the passport and the borderline, uh, the, the country's border patrol, nothing to do with COVID. It's just, it's, a, it's like a risk. You can get detained and be stuck there for a year. Yeah. I think there was a girl in Russia that's detained there and she just like, I forget what she did. It's something super simple. And she's been stuck there for like six months. So that's not fun. So that, that, the risk reward. Is that the basketball working. player? Yeah, Brittany Greer or yeah. something like that. She had hash- hashish or something like that, like in her thing. And yeah, like because of the war going on, the U.S. doesn't want to, like it, I read a bunch of it about it. Like, and now we've kind of forgotten her there. You know, like that's what the storyline is. But like they've tried to get her apparently. And they won't let her go unless we give up some spies or something like that is what I read. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I know that, that whole, I'm a big, I love Ukraine man. I had a good time in Kiev. So I'm pulling for them on this thing. And I, I actually have a lot of friends that are Russian too. And it's, they, they have no desire to, to fight this thing. This is very, very political. So if anybody's ever like boycotting certain, it's weird. Everyone's boycotting, like smearing off. I'm like, dude, it's made in the Northeast. It's not even made in Russia. <laughs> You know, shit like that. But but you're right about it. it's like insane what's going on, not just in that subject, but like all over the world. There's always something weird going on. That's why I didn't want to do the the North Korea or even Venezuela. For the the risk of being detained like that just for something you don't even do that that's wrong is not worth it. I would love to go hiking in Venezuela, man. That used to be a a booming country in South America a couple dozen years ago. Uh, but obviously, Colombia now is kind of trending as like the hot spot. So hopefully, at some point, they both can open and people can enjoy both. But uh, every Venezuelan I meet, I, I actually am, you know, in Colombia too. Everyone, everyone I've met in South America this past year has been really, really humble and, and nice. So, but it also is reflective of how you treat other people too. If you're going up to people and, and talking smack or being a dick to them, you know, you're going to get treated that way. I'm going up to people smiling and asking where they're from. It usually works out well. Usually. What is a, um, so I'm, I'm looking at, I'm skimming through the book right now. What exactly yeah. is a para? Like you broke one. A P R A H A. Oh, Praha. Praha. That's Prague. So that's that's Prague. Uh, Prague, Czech Republic. It's the first city I ever flew to. It's in the middle of Central Europe, and the country is Czech Republic. It used to be Czechoslovakia in the nineties. I think it was they split up in the Czech Republic and Bratislava. But Praha is the enunciation of Prague. 
in their own language in Czech. Oh, and okay. I, 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 you know, you were asking about like, do you collect stamps or anything like that? Or someone brought that up. Yeah. I, my personal like prize possession is magnets. The reason why is I've been to so many damn countries. When I was first started out, I, I got like a plaque from the Eiffel tower, yeah, but it's just too big and bulky to carry, especially when you're backpack in Europe and you have like one bag. So stamps was my, not stamps, but um, magnets was my personal thing. I kept doing. And the reason it started was the, the magnet itself. The very first one I'm skimming through, which one I want to buy in Prague. Cause you know, I thought it'd be kind of cool to hang on the fridge at home. My parents never been there. So that'd be kind of neat. Kind of show off a little bit, whatever. But I, I tap one and it fell on the ground. It split in half. So the, the magnet says Praha with the Czech flag. And that's the one I broke. So that's it. That's the one I had to buy. So ever since then I glued it together and that's my very, very first magnet of the 79 countries. So uh, that's my, and I have this big like magnet board whenever I'm actually at, in one place, it's been in storage for almost two years now. But I got them all in like a Tupperware thing. Whenever I settle down and, and pick up spots, it's going to be more than like three months at a time. Uh, I hang this big magnet board on the wall again and, and put each uh, magnet back up. But that's the very first one is Praha. It's in Czech language for Prague. So when you start a family, do you want your kids to experience the stuff that you've experienced? Do you want travel yeah. to be in their life? Yeah. yeah. I think starting out when you're young, though, sports is a big thing. I, I was a huge I love soccer, football, basketball, baseball. I obviously have stuck with baseball because it paid, you know, paid for college mostly. Uh, I got half, got half academic, half uh, athletic, and then I did really shitty the freshman and sophomore year academically. So I lost my academic scholarship junior year, and then I ended up making dean's list senior, and I got it back. It's crazy, but the uh, I think as a child, you know, it, obviously it's based on your personal interest. So everyone's got their thing. Some like video games, some like arts and design. For me, I kind of want the. the my kids did, but it's a guy or girl do everything. But I would love for the, I think soccer is the best sport in the world. And the reason why is not America is just finally embracing it, but it's so simple. You just put a ball down, you can have two tree uh, trunks and that you, you got a field. Mm-hmm. You look at golf, hockey, baseball, dude, it's so expensive, man. Someone that's in like the Filipinos or, or the Philippines or Southeast Asia or, or India, um, they play cricket a lot there, but soccer is always prominent because it's, it's so inexpensive and you can just play it anywhere on dirt field or grass. But the cost of thing, I think that's that says something for the entire world. And everyone's using it. Look at the World Cup, man. I'm a huge World Cup fan. That actually comes up twice in the book on when I'm traveling during the World Cup, just by, by a whim. But um, I think that would be the first priority for kids starting out. Gymnastics is good if you're going to try to have them go into other sports, too, just for flexibility and, and speed and stuff like that. But, uh, but soccer is a big one. Then when you get to that, I work a lot. I actually just got back from Bahamas, and I was – helping chaperone high school graduation trips. So I think that's the time frame when you start. Yeah. I think it'd be wise to have your kids start thinking about it, whether it be high school or definitely college because college is a point where you kind of have a better idea of what you do or uh, what you like and don't like, you know, just in general. And you kind of pick and choose your destination based on that. But, um, but the, the, the companies I work with, there's a, there's one that's called ACA adventures, American Cleat adventures that does high school students like junior seniors. And they take them to, for example, Madison, Wisconsin, university of Wisconsin. That's where I, met all the people from Wisconsin. I spent a summer there and they have them stay on campus for, I think it's three or four weeks. And then each weekend they go to a different city and, and tour different schools, different colleges. So it was like, you go to Michigan, you go to Chicago for a weekend, you go to Milwaukee and you're, you're seeing Northwestern Chicago, thing like that. So that's a good cultural experience, but it's within the U S as far as international goes. I don't think there's anything that does real young, but definitely high school graduation trips. That's a big industry for people. Obviously, it's a lot of money to do it. I didn't have the money when I was a kid. I, I just drove to the beach, you know, and that was it. We hung out at a, at a beach house that was like super cheap and run down. But for people that 
can invest in that time. Uh, I look at the benefit of not so much a trip. Like these kids are down in Bahamas just partying and they're like 18 year old. It, it looks like Project X meets Superbad in the Bahamas. It's those two movies combined. It's, it's, I'm chaperoning them basically make sure they don't like run away and, and you know, get kidnapped kind of thing. But the other stupid stuff they do, it's, it's natural. They, they live some and they learn some. And a lot of people lose money. A lot of people, thank God they don't lose their passports, which we teach them to put them in the safes. But there's other stuff that happens and it, it teaches them for the better. Um, p- making mistakes, I made thousands of mistakes. I'm very proud of it. Because if I didn't do those mistakes, I wouldn't be growing. I wouldn't be getting better. As a kid, especially a teenager or college kid, I think that's the best thing for them. And if you can open your eyes, Mexico is a great example. I mean, yeah, an all-inclusive resort in Cancun or Cabo is not really going to open their eyes per se. But when they get off the resort, say they take them to a club downtown one night, obviously you're telling them to not bring all their life savings, not to take their passport so they don't get robbed. But once they actually see that difference compared to what they're used to in the U.S. or even Europe, I think the companies like EF Tours, they do a lot of high school over to Europe, a lot of college. Um, STS travel is good for spring break and summer break. There's a whole bunch of them. I listed them on the very last page of the book. There's a whole bunch of companies. And it's nothing to do with paid in, uh, stuff to me. It's just resources for travelers and people that want to travel to use. But for me personally, I think it would be wise for my own kids. It depends on how much costs are involved, how much I'm making and stuff like that. But you know, I'm looking at just a trip somewhere to get them out that's different than the U.S. Costa Rica is a great example. Very safe in general. Dollars they use the U.S. dollars. If you take a kid down there to do a volunteer, like you know, nature experience, because maybe they like you know zoos or something like that. They want to be a zoologist one day. You take them down there and you get involved with the nature. That's great. But they also get to experience how different the actual culture, the food, the, the poverty. You know, just in general, I think that's a good first trip for someone that likes that certain things. Or like London and Paris, I went in college and it was a theater arts and theater trip. I had zero interest in arts and theater. I'm horrible at music. I'm terrible. I'm a big fan. Love going to shows, love listening to music. But I actually wrote this. Like, you got to know your strengths and the weaknesses, man. I was very athletic, very into movies, good with business, but I'm terrible at playing a guitar, drums. If you got me up there, the, the place would just vacate and like run away. But the trip to London and Paris was awesome because it was some of the best like theaters and, and culture stuff in the world. And more importantly, where I'm going with all this, all those different types of trips is the people I met. And I'm just looking at what I just did the past like five weeks in Bahamas. All these kids have been together for like three, four, five days. Some are from Chicago, some are from California, some from Louisiana. I think it was like actually a group from Memphis too that came down. Uh, South Florida that came. Philly's there this week. I just left. They're still there. But they're all meeting these people from different places and they're all going to different schools. And I highly promote them staying in touch. I highly talk to them about say, hey, look, you meet someone, get their Instagram, get their Facebook, stay in touch. The reason why is this is, this is the point of this trip. Sure, you'll have fun and drink some stuff and see the beach or whatever. But the people you meet on on trips like that, man, you won't believe the amount of jobs that come out of this stuff. LinkedIn is a great example. But linked up for you guys, the name of the podcast. But talk, just talking about this, you come all the way back to after college, you graduate, you're looking for jobs, right? And then what if you want to move to South Florida and you met that kid who in high school who was down in Bahamas with you, he lives in South Florida. He goes back there and his family owns some type of company and they're hiring. Boom, you have an in right then and there. It's amazing how much it circles back when you meet people on trips like that and things that happen. Relationships come up a lot of like that. You may meet a, a guy or girl or whatever and may not be that person, but their friends, you know, just broke up with somebody and you happen to be single. Oh, hey, you should, you know, take my friend on a date. Dude, it happens a lot. <laughs> a lot. No, it's so true, man. Like um, we use a perfect example. When we went to Miami, we hit up Tito, even though he lives in Fort Lauderdale, he came down. 
and took us out to places that if we would just been by ourselves, we would not experience. Yeah. So it's like Tito says, you got to use your resources. Oh, Little Havana was cool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it, was it was really cool. It was nice, I that was, man. I that was, that's a hidden gem. Everyone talks about like the South Beach. Like you said, Brickell's well-known. Winwood is cool. But they, I, I, I like the Little Havana. So I've been to Cuba. So I'm a little biased in that. But I thought that was really freaking cool compared to the rest of Miami. It was way more authentic. It felt like you actually were in And the food there is phenomenal. But the, the music changes, the culture, the, even just the look of the street and the feel of it, it's not bougie. Yeah, it's very authentic is the word I use, and that that that's one of my favorite parts. I forget the name of that one restaurant. I had a live music right in the middle of that street, but that was that was awesome, man. That, that vibe was cool. So as far as food goes, like, what's one thing that you saw and you're like, man, I don't want to try that, but then you end up trying <laughs> it. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> I had to try. I was dating a girl, so I, the one thing I'm attracted to, like in general with girls, is is positivity. Mm-hmm. So. That that always jumps out, but um, and and it's a two way street. I always tell say say people with relationships, but um, in Iceland, I'll just use this as an example. There's there's a really cool part about her that that I enjoyed, and it was the enthusiasm of of doing random shit. And we're walking. It's our first day in Reykjavik. We it's an overnight flight, so you land at like six seven a.m. And usually the hotel rooms aren't open till like three or four o'clock. That's pretty standard anywhere in the world. So we had the full day to just wander around, and we're going in the middle of the the street in the Reykjavik through like the main um i guess like shopping area or, or hub of food and uh, market is the word and i see this sign that says like fermented shark okay i'll bite you know whatever it sounds kind of weird um we go up to this thing and and the guy it, the smell keeps getting worse and worse i mean it's like think of like wet dirty socks and fish combined yeah. and then it's like it's awful so but it's a thing it's like in their culture it's like i do it right i'm like i really don't want to try this so we like End up rock paper scissors shoot to see who goes first, and I end up losing. She beat me, so I had to take it first, dude. It was that was the worst thing, and that's like engraved my brain. It was that bad. Like seriously, just imagine like chomping on some rubbery lard, but it smells like fish and and wet socks. It was just awful. Uh, but that's like a normal thing for them, and then you know she had to do it too at some point. Like, but she ended up. It was like a scene in Fear Factor with Joe Rogan. Like she's <laughs> yeah. chopping down this thing, and, and that's what makes a relationship good. Sometimes, sometimes people have strengths, sometimes have weaknesses. I couldn't handle it, man. I didn't puke, but like I was just like hell no. But she just like chopped it up and ate, it and it was done. So it was it was kind of like surprising she pulled off. But um, but yeah, the, the food was that bad, and there was something else I'm thinking of that was god awful. I, I never like beets. And everyone gives me criticism with that. I eat a lot of stuff, man. I'll eat every, like not so much to Anthony Zimmerman or what's his name? Yeah. Um, Bizarre Foods is a oh, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I like his stuff, but he does some too extreme stuff that I, I wouldn't do. But um, but beets always get me. I don't know why. I, I just don't like them. I actually don't drink that much coffee either. I actually don't like coffee, which is weird, but it is what it is. Have but you tried any type of bugs? Yeah, I ate scorpion. It tastes like sand. That was in Thailand. That was a long time ago. It was like 13 years ago, but it wasn't like awful. Like this, I think the smell was what got me the worst part of that, but that fermented shark, that was really bad. And there's one other thing in the book. I can't remember off the top of my head. That's why I wrote the damn thing is I can't remember everything all the time. <laughs> there was one other really, really bad food in there. And I just don't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't a bug. Did it you do a lot of street time. food in Thailand or no? Cause my buddy oh, just came back from there and he said he was kind of leery of it. No, I, I so my I have like an cast iron stomach. That's one perk I have of traveling abroad, and not everybody can handle that. I mean, some people like literally they have um, lactose intolerance or they're vegetarian, pescatarian, whatever it may be, and it's it's tougher for them. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the girl that's all, all over. She's like in the middle of Pakistan hiking right now. 
the flight attendant, uh, Morgan, she's a vegetarian. And when she was in Africa, dude, it was like, that's all they serve is just like, like meat and chicken. That's it. And other than that, she's eating like plates of rice. I felt bad for her. It's not easy Yeah. when you're abroad, but the, um, but the street food, man, that's actually something I actually love. I'm a big fan of street food. I, I prefer to eat that. I'll use Guatemala this past April as an example. I was in Cabo running spring break in March. I went purposely to um, Guatemala in April because the flights were dirt cheap. It was like $180 round trip from Philadelphia. It was insane how cheap wow. it was. That's yeah, it was dirt cheap. cheap. And, and, and the currency there, just for like a full course dinner, like I'm eating with this gourmet, not gourmet food, but like gourmet cooked style like the grandma you think of like the grandma cooking your home cooked meal stuff like that and this is full plate of food it's cost me three us dollars per night for dinner Damn. it's insane there's like two huge tamales tacos and rice and beans on the side and i get like this drink with it too but that's all on the street and the reason i like it more is because you can see how they're cooking it what's being made how it's kept and yes there are risks involved especially if it's like meat just sitting out all day i don't eat that but the stuff that she was making was all like in in the what do you call it coolers and things that kept on ice and things like that so all the meat was fine and they would cook it live right in front of you so you know there's not any rats running around or speak you know uh, poop you know in your food you get in the back of some some kitchen in thailand it might look like the best thing in the world when you're out on the plate but who knows what the kitchen looks like how, how often they clean it you never know true most of the, most of the hotels are fine but i'm talking about like just local establishments and i'm not knocking local establishments because it happens in the u.s too it's hit or miss based on that i just am a fan of being able to see what i eat I actually like buffets for that reason. I'll go around. I could point out and see how the food's actually cooked before you're ordering it. You know, it's kind of nice to be able to visualize and see. My dad was in food for a long time. He worked for a seasoning company. I actually directly worked with Kellogg's for like 20 years, but it was always a branch off. And a lot of times he worked for Mrs. Smith's Pies, um, Milwaukee Seasonings was a company, but it was soup-based, soup stocks. So I'm a big soup fan. And you can tell, you can smell things or look at it, but you always eat with your eyes, you always say. If you can see something, how it's cooked, how it's looking, it, it makes it like that much better of an experience versus eating blind. If you try eating your food, like just literally go home tonight and cover your eyes and try to eat your food and and don't like know what it is beforehand. Have have your friend or, or partner or wife or whatever, or husband, put the plate in front of you and like pick it up and eat it and hand it to you and eat it without looking at it. So you don't know what it is yet. It's, it's very, very different how much it dramatically changes your taste buds. Mm. That's interesting. <laughs> it's kind of a cool experience. Yeah. I think that was on like one of those TV shows, like uh, MythBusters or something like that. It definitely changes your taste buds for sure by looking at it. What uh, what's the best place you've eaten at, like throughout? For me, I love spice, man. So I definitely promote Southeast Asia. Like you're talking about Thailand, going there, the food there is that good. If you like spice, if you don't like spice, like my mom, probably not. It's gonna be hard to get something that you like there. It's very hard to find mild food. But for me personally, I absolutely I go back to India. I love India for that reason. The culture, the food, the, the wow factor. I felt like it was on a different planet, but the food, because of the spice content and the flavor context, was outstanding. Like 9.5 out of 10 across the board. Probably my favorite in the world, but I wow. like spice. Um, the the trade-off is that it is absolute, like New, Central Delhi is like, it makes New York City look like a, a walk in a park, like in the middle of Kansas. It's it's that crowded. It's like crazy. Like the, People on the train, just their public commute in New Delhi. I mean, there's smog everywhere, number one. So it makes L.A. look like, again, Midwest somewhere with the air quality. So imagine the smog. You can barely breathe anything. You're just huffing and puffing. It's just cloudy and hazy. And then you got the train system, and everyone's trying to go to work in the morning. I'm watching this, like, 
not from like right next to the train station, but I'm seeing it from like across the street. I'm like, look at this thing. And they're piling in there. Piling, the, the, the train conductor is pushing humans into the thing. They're stuffed in there like, like sardine cans. And then it starts taking off. And there's a whole nother like 20 people that still have to get on this damn train. So they start running next to it, grabbing on the sides, going onto the roof, standing on the roof, and the train takes off. And that's their commute daily. It's insane how, how crowded it was. But the food context is the, is the best part of that. The food and, and the, um, the, like the actual, the Taj Mahal, the, the construction, not the construction, architecture there, the Bengal Tiger and Rathenboard, that was all amazing. But the food was that good. And it's cheap, dude. Same thing, like $3 for a full course. You know, if you get a Indian food dinner here, especially Memphis or New York or anywhere on the East Coast, it's like 15, 20 bucks for a plate. There yeah. it's like $3 for the same exact thing. Three US dollars. That's it. It's nuts. So as far as uh, Philly goes, who has the best cheesesteak? Uh, good question. I just want to touch on this. If anybody's going to India and doesn't like spice, they also have a heavy uh, Chinese influence. So at least in India, you're safe. You can always order Chinese food off the menu instead of worry about spice. But as far as cheesesteaks go in Philly, I'm going to get a lot of heat for this, but it's <laughs> it's also engraved in my, my blood. Well, there's a tie on the number one. I'm going to give this very fair because the quality of the actual cheesesteak is, in my opinion, that even ties. Uh, Steve's, which has one up in the Northeast that's still there. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, their center city location closed, which sucks because that was my favorite. And then I actually really like Gino's. And the reason why is the, the roll. I'm very, very, very picky on the roll. I hate when a cheesesteak falls apart in your hands and goes all over the damn you know, plate or whatever, or your, wherever you're eating. Hmm. So the, the roll quality is, is high on my list. The actual steak, the the onions, and the cheese whiz at Gino's is it's what it should be. It's not the outstanding. I think Steve's is better overall. Um, but the cherry peppers is what gets me about Gino's. I like spice, as you can tell. So I add those cherry peppers on there, and then the flavor context goes through the roof, and you get the roll that's holding together. And it's like that doughy, gooey style that doesn't like – it's not firm. It's not soft. It's just perfect. It's done right. And it doesn't fall apart. You go to Pat's right next to Gino's, and your roll is split in half, and you got stuff everywhere. It's all soggy. Plus, it's Jersey style. Jersey style means that it's chopped up. It means the the meat quality can be whatever, and they're just chopping up to make it taste good. And, and Gino's and Steve's, it's prime rib, so they're they're like sliced like kind of like if you have like uh, thin sliced roast beef, you know uh, that uh, not prime rib. What am I talking about? Ribeye. It's a sliced ribeye, so marble ribeye. So the meat quality is a lot higher too, and they're not chopped up. That's the difference of a true, in my opinion, being from Philly. If you're looking at Philly cheesesteak, it should be slabs of ribeye. With cheese whiz. They call it whiz with. So that means cheese whiz with onions, and you can order it that way. If you get a cheesesteak anywhere in the world or even in Philly and it's chopped up, I personally call it Jersey style because when I grew up, every time I went to Jersey, that's always there. It's always chopped up. You never can find the slabs anywhere but the actual city itself. So how garbage is Lenny's? <laughs> I actually have not had Lenny's. You'd probably be insulted if you ate it. But what is coming, this shit? Coming from a Philly. I, I, I lived in Manion back maybe 10, 12 years ago. And that was a fun time. We lived right on main street during the bike race. And that was, we lived like, there was four of us guys, single guys, one bathroom and we had a rooftop. The rooftop thing might've started even then too, but we hosted people from all over from the New York, from Baltimore came over and we had these parties and stuff. Uh, but in that, in that town, Maniunk, the Alessandro's is very good. That probably makes my top five, maybe even top three and nothing to do with the steak. Cause it is chopped up. Not even to do with the roll. Not a big fan of the roll, but their cheese is insane. They have the best actual cheese. It's like, it's like sharp cheddar or I don't know what it is, provolone, but it, it tastes totally different than the Wiz style. But the Alessandro's always gets a good review for that reason. They're just very. It's an it's an oddball. It's not in the center city. It's it's outside the city of Manioc. 
up on the hill. <coughs> I'm trying to think of one other one I'm missing. Oh, on South Street. I don't recommend this because it's kind of dangerous. There was a shooting there like a month ago, especially on a Friday, Saturday night. But if you go during a day, yes, it's worth checking out gyms. And then there's another one called Ishkabibbles. They're right across the street from another. They're also, quote unquote, the Jersey style, where they're chopped up. I'm not a fan of it, but if you're doing like a full uh, Philly cheesesteak uh, tour and everything, there's even one with like truffle butter or something like that somewhere in some rich, fancy hotel. Not my style, but definitely got to go to Pasadena's. That's a stable. That's where it all started. That's where it began in South Philly. Um, I think the Alessandro's is worth it. If you have a car and you're able to drive there, if you're just staying for a weekend, then I, the problem is Steve's is not in the center city anymore, man. That was, that's my all time favorite. I love the people that work there too, but I think, I think they're just gone. I just got back literally yesterday to Philly. So I, I don't know what's going on in center city yet, but as of there a year ago, when I came back in town or half a year ago, they, they had completely closed the downtown and only had the Northeast location open anymore. So what's celebrated more? The Geno's or fucking Ben Franklin? Uh, depends on your interest. If you're a history buff, Ben Franklin, for sure. He's more notorious. But if you're a foodie, you got to go cheesesteaks. Actually, my, my favorite food, fun fact, the favorite or best thing I've personally had in the city of Philadelphia, the being here off and on for many years, is in the Reading Terminal Market. I mean, you could pick anything in there. It's going to be good. That's a very high rent. So you got to be making some money and doing well to, to be there to begin with. But it's very easy to access. It's dead center smack city uh, in the center city. And it's not dangerous at all. That area I like a lot. Um, the, but it's called Reading Terminal Market. And my personal favorite is Herschel's Deli. Herschel Walker was a running back for the Eagles a year ago, or a couple of years ago, a couple of decades ago, I should say. And But the pastrami Reuben that they serve is the best thing I've had in all of Philly, hands down. So and is like, Philly I'm, known for a food city? Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. It's heavy though. You get like heavy stuff, um, but definitely very good food scene. Zahav is a Israeli restaurant. You could, you could Google Z-A-V-A. I forget how you spell it. Z-A-V-A something V. Zahav or Z-A-V-H-A-V. But that, that's, that's gotten so many awards. Like, um, and there's a, Michel, a couple of Michelin restaurants, Steven Singer restaurants or something oh, like that. Wow. There's a whole bunch in the center city, but that's more like high end stuff. I'm just talking like on a level of a cheesesteak. That pastrami Reuben, it's like you could put a, a knife go, like going through a stick of butter. It's the same experience. It's that soft and gooey and juicy. And then you add the sauerkraut with the Thousand Island dressing on a, on a rye bread. Dude, it's, it's heaven. But it's very heavy. So you can order one of those things and split it between you and someone else and be fine. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's a big sandwich. Speaking of when you said heavy, how do you feel like when you go to another country and you can eat and you don't feel like shit like you do here? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, the, the mulligan, the exception is Italy, man. I, I eat so much pasta over there. I gained like 20 pounds. In Italy. <laughs> but yeah, I, and, but you know that going in. You kind of expect that. But you're right. I, it depends on what your diet is back home. I mean, I, I look at the cost for me right now because I've been kind of bopping around everywhere. I eat more when I'm abroad because it's so damn cheap. Like I made, ate more really good. And it was good food like in April, but I also was running a lot. I tried to keep it in shape. I had... Like a lot of hostels I stay at, if they have like an outdoor gym, like a pull-up bar or something like that, I'll 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 stay there because I try to stay in shape here and there. Yeah. I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not a huge gym buff or anything like that, but I try to go two times a week just in general, just to like balance it out because I'm eating a lot of stuff. But when I come back home, especially now with the cost of food and, and everything, holy crap, man. I'm I'm definitely like on a lower key diet right now until I know what I'm doing full-time work-wise. I've been doing part-time got gigs for almost two years. So I don't want to go like five star restaurants all all of a sudden back to back to back, and that's also related to like how people when they ask me like how do I afford all this stuff, 
Like, well, dude, I'm frugal. I'm very, very frugal. I'm not cheap, though. There's a difference. Frugal is like when you you know, are smart with money, but you still tip 20% at the restaurant. But I don't go to the restaurant more than like one or two times a week versus three, four or five times a week. The difference of being cheap and frugal. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, for you guys, I'll, I'll ask you guys this. How much did you pay for your shoes? That's a good, good question to ask anybody. How much do your shoes cost? I think my latest ones I have is like 120 bucks. All right. I think my boots are like 300 bucks. All right. So I, I bought a pair of $25 hiking boots from Walmart. I've been using them for two years. 25 bucks. <laughs> Damn. And they've, they've, they've kept up great, man. I mean, that, that's what's and then my haircut. How much you pay for a haircut? I'm bald. Yeah, I shave my own head, so that's free. All right, all right. Well, all I right, have to we'll buy a razor. Out. I have to buy a razor and stuff. But <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I do my own hair. I, I cut my own hair. I have a little thing I bring with me and just buzz it off. So it's like, but that's that. My point is that type of stuff adds up a lot. No, a lot. you're definitely right because there's stuff. There's stuff you can cut out. You know, like blow on bullshit. That you like alcohol. to say alcohol. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm always going at the bar, man. I, I love a good beer, man. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be filtered at all, especially all through college. And they're like, yeah, you're still acting like a college kid. I'm like, yeah, but I'm saving 100 bucks a night. I'll bring a whiskey, a plastic whiskey with me. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I, yeah. I, 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 but the, if you, I order a drink, I still tip the bartender 20%. It's just, it's, it's relative of how much you're ordering. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. You know, I love, I still love like natural light and like the cheap beers, you know, like, and bush light and stuff like that. Not just because it's cheap beer. I mean, I just, it to me, I like it the same way as like a Stella or something like that. You know, like I'm not, a, I'm not a high class drinker. Like I don't give a shit, no, you know, like. But, well, t- Tony, my college roommate, if he's listening, he's all about the IPAs and the fancy stuff. Oh, fuck that shit. I mean, I can't handle it. I actually love my favorite beer in the world and nothing to do with my heritage. I will. It's like a tie, but Munich always comes up because it's like, it's called a hell's lager which they just started getting in the U.S. But it's like a normal, like, you know, mom and pop, like, lager or whatever. But it's got a little hint of honey, so it's kind of cool in there. But it's not healthy for you. So you, you're right. You wouldn't eat, you wouldn't drink a whole bunch of those either. Or, like, a nice stout if it's uh, cold. Somebody that will get a here stout here and there because it's not overly strong like an IPA. But my favorite beer in the world is uh, Brussels, Belgium. A Belgian beer tastes good, but is strong as hell. And I, you don't need more than one of them. That. You know, for example, if you're going to go to the light beer route, I lived in Mexico for umpteen years. I always drank Dos Equis, but my light beer choice is uh, even at home. I get it's called Tecate Light. Oh, yeah. And, uh, blue can, right? I mean, blue labeling yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're solid, man, especially daytime at the pool or at the beach. You know, they taste good. Yeah, like an IPA, like you just said, IPAs and stuff like that, they're just too heavy. And you can only yeah. enjoy like maybe two and then you start getting full. Not drunk, yeah. just full. Like, damn, man, I can't drink that shit anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like going to Italy, eating all the food. It's the same thing. Your stomach just feels like it you know blows up. You know, and I, I can't. I'm not a big wine guy, but I'm sure there's a difference there. Drinking wine versus have like a vodka soda too. I'm sure it's the same experience for girls. I would think, but I'm not a big wine kind of sort at all. I'll have like a red wine with steak, and that's it. But everyone asks me like, "Yeah, what's the best wine?" I'm like, "I'm the worst person to ask for that one." <laughs> the beers, beers is a different story though. Yeah, people but, uh, like I'll, people I'll always like. Sorry, really go ahead. Good no, you're good. Southeast Asia and, and Asia in general, very, very good beers. One of my favorites just personally is Tiger. They're based out of Singapore, but they're worldwide now too. But same thing there. It's just a general lager like Dos Equis. There's not much fancy to it. It's not like some IPA, not some light beer, just in between. The company I work at, we're actually trying to get Tiger back. We used to have, apparently we used to have it. And a lot of people, like a lot of Asian restaurants, a lot of people in Memphis are asking for it. And they're yeah. trying. They start trying to like contact somebody over there to see if they can get like the distribution again for it. 
I think they have a North American because it said it was like, you know, from Singapore it was dis- distributed in New York or somewhere. I forget what city it was, but they definitely have a North American thing because it, it's here in Philly. You can get you can get Tiger beer at like uh, it's called the Foodery. It's like a bottle shop and they have some food on the side. But that's if you go out in downtown Philly, or I'm sure it's the same in Memphis too, or anywhere in, in the U.S. or anywhere in the world for that matter. You can go to a hotel bar and get fifteen dollars a beer, but right outside across the street, there's a place like, for example, the Foodery, where you can go in there and get a three dollar beer, walk back in, you're good. Yeah. yeah. It's a time and a place, though. When it's busy at the hotel bar, okay, fine. If it's like no one else there, then yeah, just you know, fork it out and, and splurge a little bit. But that, my point is that, that that type of stuff, you can still get the same exact thing. Sometimes even a better quality beer you might like just because it's a whole bottle shop of stuff versus just a Budweiser on tap, and you're paying a third of the cost. It just ten years of that, fifteen years of that, man. That's been adding up. It's been been nice. I do a lot of um, the, the stuff I don't spend on, I put it into real estate. I do it like stocks and real estate. I do a lot of investing too. So that's been like residual income coming up. But back to the beer thing, I, I agree with that. I can't do the IPA stuff, man. I just, I'll try one, but it's like yeah, everyone has their, what's your like least favorite food? If you had to pick one, put that in related to a least favorite drink. Yeah. Everyone has their, their favorites they like and things they don't like. So true. So what is your takeaway from traveling? Uh, when you, <laughs> not everyone has the opportunity. So that's also partly why I wrote the book is because some people live vicariously through TV and th- like my uncle is a great example, but even in an early age, there's some people that I'll use my I have personal family members that are dead, that are, that are got mixed in with the, that Northeast Philadelphia that are on drugs and stuff. They're in jail. Yeah. You don't, that lifestyle doesn't even come into their play, but if you have the opportunity or you have the realization that, Hey, I, I might like this try and it doesn't have to be the most expensive trip in the world or anything like that but i think it's worth investing your time and money on on that type of stuff it's called an experience just like if you go to six flags or you go to a water park it's an experience you're paying for not mm. a not a thing yeah now you may like it you may not but i think it's with anything in life even if you're going in a relationship it can't hurt to try you know what i mean i'm not saying get married to a person i'm not saying like go and, and spend all your money life savings on one big huge trip but you know if you see a deal for somewhere even if it's like 600 bucks just going down to Mexico and you've never been out of country. Make sure the weather's good. Obviously follow some of the stuff that the tips I put in the book, but like, yeah, hit the gas pedal. When you get a chance to do it, do it. I think it's, you're looking back at you. You'll, there's always this famous saying, you, you know, 20 years from now, or even when you're dead, you look back in your deathbed, you know, you're going to miss the things you didn't do more than the things you did. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's something like that. You know, I forget what the heck the exact saying is, but the point being is that if you'll, you never know till you try and, of all the stuff that <laughs> I have a lot of conversations with elderly family members too, and, and things like that, like what are the things you wish you did earlier? And it travels always up there in the top three of those things that they wish they did earlier, just mainly because of the physical capability. So, and the finances may not be there, but yeah, this is just me personally. I don't know about you guys listening, but I don't mind bagging groceries at Trader Joe's on 65, 70 years old. I think it actually keeps you healthier and younger versus just being retired and not being able to do as much, but that's just me. Yeah, I'd rather add five more years on that lifestyle and be able to enjoy five years, which I've done the past five. That's just how I'm looking at it. It's just a trade. You're still working the same amount of years. Just how's your physical capability? Because I'm spending a third of the cost, maybe even a quarter of the cost of what I would if I'm 65, 70 years old. Because then you can't stay in hostels. Then you can't be backpacking. Yeah. Then you got to take trips, fly back, and then watch your kids, watch your grandkids, watch the dog. It's just so much crap going on. If you if you are you know, split up or newly single or whatever like that, and you have a chance to do it, and you're scared about going alone, I guarantee you, you'll learn a thousand different tips from the book because 
it's not just catered towards that type of thing. It's catered towards everybody, but couples, families, stuff like that. But if you're solo and you're scared, there's a lot of tips in there and just in general on the, on the, on the internet. And don't be afraid to go stay in a hostel. But I preach this all the time in the book is like, everyone's got this image of that, the movie where the hostel is going to be all dangerous and you get killed and stuff like that. That's completely the opposite. Most of them are amazing places to stay. And I use this brand in South America that I, I'm a very fond of. It has nothing to do with the partnership. It's just, I think it helps people get over that hump of, of fear. It's called Selena. It's S-E-L-I-N-A. If you just Google Selena hostels, you'll see how nice they are. They're not cheap. They're not expensive. They're medium priced. But the reason I promote them is because they pride themselves on safety and 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 like they always have a common area. They even have, sometimes have like a yoga room for girls. So you can meet people that way if you're a solo traveler. They have a workstation. They have like a workspace. So you might be like able to work on a laptop. You want to hang out for in Mexico in Tulum. They have a they have a Tulum property too. So I think that's a big thing is people don't know that exists, especially at younger ages. The high school, the college kids, they're they're just they don't have the knowledge yet. So hopefully this book or in general this podcast helps them kind of like, oh, the light bulb goes off. Maybe I can and start researching a little bit. That's my personal feeling on travel in general. Well, you know, know, I I had no idea that, you know, hostels would like, I I just figured like they were like what you see on TV. You know, I didn't know they were nice and clean and safe. Like you just said, and I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe what you say over what I see on TV. I agree with you there. A lot of TV is fluff because they want you to buy commercial or listen to commercial and then keep you engaged. So the fear is a big reason, just like the news. They, they, I mean, we all can agree that negative news is going to be more of a, a in capturing the um, program versus a good news. Good news. Oh, that's nice. But then you flip the channel. Bad news is like you're scared. Like, oh, wow, what's going to happen next? The next thing you know, they roll the commercial to get your, your money. Yeah. So that's how they make money. But in general, the hostile industry, I will say that people don't know this either, that even if you're a couple, you're like 20-something years old, 30-something years old. It, usually, it's under 35 is kind of what they promote because they want to keep that community in the same age bracket. Um, but if you're older, I'll, I'll talk into that stuff next, too. But a couple can stay in a private room in a hostel and doesn't have to be in a dorm room. So that most hostels have that a mix of both. They might have like three or four dorms where everyone's like sharing, kind of like bunk beds, stuff like that. You know, I personally like the four or six-person bunks because it's not overcrowded, but you still get to meet some people that are you know chill in the same like-minded mindset as you that are traveling, trying to learn. And they're social, but they also have actual private rooms, actual, just like a hotel. The difference is, is you have a common area that you can still all go to a hotel. You have the hotel lobby. It's not really like promoted as like a common area. You know what I mean? It's just where you check in and check out. So that's a big thing with hostels that I, I like. And I think it's worth people investing their time to research. I always look at reviews. You know, it's not so much a five out of five. It has to do with the number of reviews. They might only have a four out of five, but if they have a thousand reviews, that means people have actually stayed there and liked their experience and, and gave, gave a real feedback versus 10 reviews that are five star that I wouldn't really rely on that as much. So it's it's kind of like through the years, how, how reliable are they? I'm going to say if it's a brand new property, you just got to use your gut and, and make the call there. But um, as far as if someone's older, like say it's a, uh, uh, what do you call it? When, they, when a kid goes to college, what do you call it? Some empty nest, empty nesters that want to go you know, travel the world. Um, Ibis is a hotel chain in Europe that is priced way less than any other like four or five star hotels, but they're actually very clean. So IBIS is very good for someone that's like an empty nester because most of the time, it depends on the hostel. Sometimes they will let you stay there. Some absolutely are open to any age, whatever, and you just stay in the private room and you're good. You still have that social environment. But some of them have an age restriction of 35 or younger. So if you're like 40 something, 50 something, and you still want to go backpack Europe and, and not spend as much, 
you can still do the Airbnb thing like you were talking about um, and just price shop. But I, I think there's certain hotels that are location is always important. Yeah, if you get an Ibis, that's a three. It's nothing flashy. It's just clean is the word to use. Usually the locations are very good. It's what they're notorious for. And you're in a three-star property. You're going to be out and about most of the time anyway. You just need a shower and a clean place to stay versus a four or five-star that may be 20 minutes outside the city. You're going to spend all that money and time getting back and forth, and it's just not worth it. So, yeah, that's just a lot of stuff's in the book, but it's it's not like a travel guidebook at all. It just happens to pop up here and there because I've seen it during the country or during a story. I'll, I'll put a little like paragraph at the end of it in italics of tips and stuff like that for anybody just based on the uh, the, the country itself. That's a lot of information, man. Like, I think a, I wish more people could travel. Like, I wish that was like a program we had. Um, it's not always cheap. I agree with you. I mean, you look at right now; it's not feasible even for me. The month of July, I'm just I'm rebooting. I need to, I need the time to re, to, to decompress a little bit. But it, the problem is, is like you look at the general trends of families in school. They're they're off what late mid June through July and then August, then they go back to school again. So they only have that little window. Mm-hmm. All these damn people are trying to travel at the same time. The month of July, the, the and it's, it's a backdated for two years. Dude, it's brutal. Yeah. You can barely afford anything. Even just like you said, going within the U.S. is, is expensive. So the, the, the challenge is, is that balance is like, are you willing to take, if you want to take a family trip in middle of November and have your kid miss a week of school and save a couple of grand because it's a family trip, you're paying for three, four, five people sometimes. So to me, it's worth it. But not everyone has that mentality and it depends on their school schedule too for kids but um but if you're solo it definitely gets easier if you're in between moving in between jobs it's definitely easier financially i should say and time wise but it, it not everyone has that capability and um a lot of the companies now are letting people work remotely from home mm-hmm. and you can just your your home could i mean i've met so many people hundreds that are just working quote unquote from topeka kansas in reality they're down in uh argentina buenos aires and they're, they're just using a VPN saying that they're from, you know, they're up in Kansas, but yeah. they're really in Argentina working, <laughs> That's fucking you know, awesome. it, it depends on the company you're with. So, and what your lifestyle is, if you're working in a human environment where you're going to be there physically, it's, it's a lot tougher. No question there, but yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think it'd be nice for everyone to experience it. It's just how, you know, how do you fuse it? And that's a lot of tips are in there of like, depends on your personal situation, but there's definitely strategies you can use. And what's the trade-off? Is it worth it to you or not? Yeah. To me, it's not worth trying to get into Venezuela or North Korea right now. It's just the government and it's not worth it, but I want to, I'm sure people want to go to, to, you know, Paris for the month of July and take their kids there. Hell, the cost is brutal. And I don't think anyone can afford it unless you've already bought stuff like two years in advance. You know, that, that, that's the reality. So just that, that's part of the industry in general. Yeah. I always say about traveling. It, I say two things. One, I experienced experienced this when I was in Barcelona. Um, I was in my Airbnb and I heard these people laughing outside the window and it sounded like I was at home and then they started speaking Spanish and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm not at home. (laughs) And then it's weird being the foreigner in another country. Like you're the one that stands out or you're, you sound funny or you sound different. Your accent's different to them. And then I always say that traveling makes you appreciate where you're at and where you're from. Because there's 1, certain luxuries that they have in different places that we don't have here and vice versa. You hit it on the head, man. Because if when I go to South, I embrace it. I mean, not everyone can take the heat on this. But when I go to South America, I'm a, I'm a male. So I get called the gringo. Mm-hmm. Some people might take that negatively. Say you come uh, in as as the 
you're just a girl from Colombia and they come up to, to Florida to vacation for a week or two. They're getting called a Latina, whatever, or hot mama. You know, my point is you can embrace it or you can take it. It's however, it's just going to happen because you're right. You look different. People are not always in, like, especially where it depends on where you grew up, where your heritage is from. Like, say you grew up in Germany, right? I mean, they're not Germany. Let's just use like Scandinavia. I mean, that's a very, very, I would say non-diverse country is the word I would pr- pronounce it that way. And then all of a sudden you take a trip from North. I meet a lot of Norwegians because they got, they got money. Do they make bank up there? Do their currency is that good? But then they go to Southeast Asia and they're like exposed to all this stuff. They're like, they don't even know it exists. It's that's, that's what the yeah. beauty of travel does, but it's also the inverse. Say you have a, um, someone from Asia or, or, or South Africa, whatever, and they go up to, to Scandinavia and start backpacking around there. Um, oh, what the heck is her name? The girl I met in, in Guatemala was amazing. She was from South Florida and had dreads and everything, but still out like a sore thumb went everywhere we would go, but she embraced it. She loved it. Yeah. And I think that was the coolest thing is because it's how you react to the criticism or not criticism, but like just the, the, the wow factor, because it, it may look different in a different place. And that goes for the U S too. If someone comes in from wherever and your hometown and they're not looking like everyone else, that's going to happen mm-hmm. at some point in everybody's life. It's just how you react to it, how you treat the other people, how you, how much you let people get in your head or let it go through one ear, not the other. And that that's the toughest part for most people that are traveling. Some people just, you know, I got very fortunate with my stomach being able to eat whatever and not get sick that often. I do get it bad when I drink tap water in Mexico. Don't ever drink tap water in Mexico, but, but, but my God. But everywhere else, but they, but if you go down there, you could call gringo, whatever, or I go to, uh, it, it's, it's more heavily on the female part. When they go abroad, they get more heat because they stand like someone, especially if you're a blonde girl going to like Egypt, do you got to cover up? Otherwise you're probably going to get mugged and kidnapped. It's that bad and nothing against Egypt. This is just in general, like, because it's so rare that they see dollar signs mm. and it's not everybody. It's just the people that are ill intended in general. It's, it's thrown right in front of me. It's just like, what do you, what happens if you see a hundred dollar bill drop from someone's pocket, right? How do you personally react to that? Do you want to pick it up and keep yourself and they never notice, or do you want to give it back to them? Not everyone reacts the same is where I'm going at. Nothing to do with the country, nothing to do with the thing. It's just a, it's a personal choice, no matter what country you're from, no matter your skin color or anything like that. It's how you react to that type of situation. You know, that, that's really, you know, and say there, that should be a TV show, man. And I'm sure that they have it. Like where you have a hidden camera where that actually happens. How do people react to that? A hundred dollar bill falls, falls out of pocket. Do they give it back to them or not? I bet you it's like almost 50, 50. Cause a lot of people will take the money and do it. Depends on their personal situation or how they're raised or whatever, what their experiences are. And some people are like, just it's in their bloodstream to like, give it back to the person because it's the right thing to do. Well, there's yeah. a show, cool. there's a show. I forget the name, but I think it's kind of like what you're talking about. They, um, like, They'll intentionally like berate like um, a gay kid that's coming out or something like that just to see people's yep. reaction. But it's all staged, you know, and yeah. like and like ninety five percent of those people just walk by, and then like two or three people will stop and say, "Hey, man, you can't talk to this kid like this. What you know? What the fuck's wrong with you? Like this is yep. so wrong. You're supposed to be his parent. What the fuck kind of thing, yep. you know?" And that's when they tell him about the show and stuff like that. Like you're absolutely right. There's bad people in every culture. It's not all the time. It's it's just it, like you're right, that example you just gave. They may do the wrong uh, thing there, and they may do the right thing somewhere else. It's I've seen too much. That's the only good thing and bad thing about traveling this many places. I've seen so much good. I've seen so much bad. It's hard to bl- believe one thing or another when someone says they're doing this or doing that when they see the complete opposite from somewhere else. That's the that's the 
mind-boggling part. And I got to take everything I hear or see with a grain of salt and, and think, I, I say this saying in the book, and I, I live by this thing, and then I always hope for the best, but I plan for the worst. And that's in that situation there, I'm hoping that they're just joking around. But maybe they are actually being a dick about it and, and to the kid, you know, and, and they got to step in and talk to him a little bit. I, you know, it, it is what it is, but that's that's the world we live in, man. Um, <laughs> everyone's a little different on different subjects, too. Like, have you heard that quote? I think it's a Warren Buffett quote. He's like, uh, if a cop tails you for 500 miles, you're going to get a ticket. <laughs> no, <man>, I like it. <laughs> so it's like eventually we're going to do something wrong. Yeah. And I think like rules is what keeps most of us in check. And but if you're not seen, I'm sure we've all done something when no one was around that oh, we probably wouldn't no. do in front of somebody else. So There's a no lot question. of shit's a case by case, you know. Yeah, and it's it's the uh, use that the girl in Russia as an example, man. They're being detained for something that would get by, you know, everyday life in Colorado or California, even most states at this point, they wouldn't care at all. So it, it's all relative of who's the engager, who's the engagee. Uh, you know, it's for better or for worse. But that's that's how diverse the world is, man. It's crazy. And you, you hit something on the head, too, with the um, uh, what the hell was I thinking of? Uh, the Thailand aspect um, th- when we were that's actually chapter one. It's when we were out. I, I didn't know any better. So I don't know if you guys have you read chapter one or, or heard about uh, it. I've been skimming through it. So the chapter one was kind of like the short story. I, it's it's available for free on Amazon. You can literally go to rooftopdiaries.com um, or even just go to Amazon, type in rooftop diaries and click on the free preview. You'll see chapter one on there and this story will be in there. Um, if you want to ever just tell your friends and family to get a good laugh, but I did read this. This is good. Yeah. yeah this, this is kind of like the, my why of why I wrote this because I didn't know any better. And, and it got to some crazy story and the story's funny, but point being is that in Thailand, you know, most cultures you think of like Saudi Arabia, you got Mecca, you know, or in India, they have cows that are sacred. It's weird. Um, you, know, you go to the Notre Dame in France anyway, or uh, yeah. And, and, um, in Thailand, I didn't know this in my very first, this is like 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago to the point. Um, my buddy and I were, were down there backpacking for like two months, two weeks, I should say, about a couple of weeks there. And we get to the the island part like the, where the movie The Beach is filmed. So if anybody's seen Leonardo DiCaprio, The Beach, this is where the story takes place. If you haven't, it's actually a good movie. It's not the best, not the worst. It's just worth watching. Um, but that's where we were, is on this really remote island called Kopp. And Maya Bay is just off that island on, on like this big, huge, like limestone cliff rolling up out of the, uh, the turquoise water in Thailand. And it's very exotic. But what I didn't know about the culture there is they have these boats and I see, you see them everywhere. You type in, you Google Thailand, you see the picture of the exotic island and there's always these boats. They're called long tails. And it looks like a big banana boat. And the reason they're called long tails is because the, the engine, nothing to do with the front of the boat, which actually looks like a tail, but the back of the boat, the engine is this really, really long like maybe 10 foot pole and the engine uh, turbines on the very front and then the propellers on the back, that's the tail. So it's called a long tail for that reason, but they're very sacred. There's a lot of stuff, spiritual stuff in Asia and India and everything like that. Um, Hinduism and Buddhism, religion is not my forte. So I didn't know any better, but point being is that we're all having fun. We do this day trip. We meet some girls on on a a place called monkey beach. um, And we're kind of like goofing around, like holding a banana, pretend we're the monkeys. And they kind of like, yeah, it kind of icebreaker. I'm not going to get into the details of the story, but the point I'm getting at is that where the night came into the play and all of us are starting to match up. There's four of my buddies and there's four girls and they're all from Australia. So they have like thick accents. It's kind of hot, actually. It was kind of cool because I didn't travel much. I didn't know any better. So I'm learning as we go. And we're all like pairing up because like we just hit off at the beach earlier. So we're at this beach bar 
music blasting lights are coming all over the beach it's a it's it's like a full moon party they call it but it wasn't a full moon it's just like a normal night there but it was it was it was lit it was pretty good so i couldn't hear a damn thing she was saying she kept trying to talk to me and we wandered down to the beach more towards the marina like away from all the lights and everything and this is like probably an hour or two after already been you know dancing hang out with everybody else you know doing some drinks ripping some shots so we're definitely you know nice at this point tipsy drunk somewhere in in between and you see all these boats out there and she's definitely like being a little bit more aggressive on like the curiosity so i was kind of like attracted to that it was cool so she wanders out towards like very shallow water low tide she wanders out towards the boats the water's only up to her ankles and everything and uh, she's like yo come follow me hop in this boat all right cool let's see what happens and next thing you know she like just starts making out with me on the spot so i'm like okay we'll go with the flow you know no pun intended we're actually in the boat out in the low tide and I don't want to spoil the whole like, you know, graphic part, the unfiltered part, but the, where I'm getting at where you were talking about where people get angry about stuff and they assume the negative is what I'm saying is the cops come up to me and, or both of us, I should say, and shine like flashlights on us. And this is like the very first paragraph. They're like, like shine them the flashlight. And it's just my, I'm naked. So you see my bare ass, like just hanging out there in the middle of like the pitch black. And it looks like a full moon. Cause I'm like pale white. You know, if you get, I'm, I'm a white boy. So if I have like, a tan line. It's like my butt is like pale white. And then my back is like tan. So it stood out really bad. And then she's like, we just had like hooked up, just finished up trying to find our clothes, everything. It's draped all over the sides. And she's like, why don't all these flashlights point as I turn around? I'm like, Oh, it looked like it's seen from the James Bond movie. It literally looked like they were ambushing bond, you know, the police and everything coming on board. And we didn't know why we had no clue what's going on. We're like, Oh shit, this is not good. So I'm like grab your clothes. We got to scoot. They get the hot here. So we start like, we couldn't escape on the boat because it was too shallow to ride the boat. Even if I started the engine, I couldn't like run away because it was just water everywhere. So we just like gave up. We just kind of like walked towards them with our hands up saying, yo, sorry, sorry. And they're just shouting in Thai. We had no idea what the hell they're saying. They're like, and I don't know what the words they were saying. Thank God when we got there, the main police chief or the main guy spoke some broken English. I'm like, <laughs> like everything. I didn't even say anything. He just came up to us and said, Hey, uh, you guys can't be doing that. He just kind of explained why the boats were all, they're very sacred. Like there's a whole like paragraph about why they are. And it has to do with the Hindu goddesses and everything. And they're the, the fishermen or the, the actual wood that's chopped down from the trees are engraved in the boats. And then the head of the boat is like the Buddha's head. So it's both Hindu and Buddhist that it's engraved for, for the religious aspect. And we were just like straight up naked hooking up on this boat, <laughs> like completely disrespecting all their, all their beliefs. Oh shit. This is, this is just like the, the weird part that we were talking about earlier, but the, the cops like assumed that we were doing it on purpose. Obviously we had no idea until that moment until he explained it. So they're being very like, they're pretty much, they're being dicks. Yeah. So they, they, they asked for our passports. We don't have them on. We have nothing on us. She just has a room key. So I didn't talk much at all. She kind of did the, she took the lead, which is cool. Talking an Australian accent and she said, Oh, that's my boyfriend. It's back in my room. That's it's like, okay, well, we got to walk back with you and get your passports and file a report. Anyway, so we start like walking there and they asked me some questions. I just made up some like weird Australian accent. I, I didn't want to answer any questions. So I'm like, hey, good day, mate. Yeah, you know, <laughs> beautiful you got here. It's just going with the flow. And, and, I was, and they believed it. So they were actually like, oh, shit, this is actually a couple. We looked, I mean, we're both blonde anyway, anyway, blue eyes. So it looked legit. So we get to the hotel. This is the only hotel that's like three, four, actually, it was four stories tall. And it had a little lobby area. Thank God there was no receptionist. So they were just on break or something. It was like dead quiet because everyone's at the beach partying. So two of the guards hang out there. Two of them come upstairs with us to the fourth floor. One hangs by the elevator. And one's like just outside her door. We get her to the room. This is where it gets really freaking like heavy. 
Cause I didn't know what to do. My, my, my heart's pulsating. I got two pumps. I didn't know what the hell to do. Like, how am I going to get out of this thing? I'm not trying to go to Thai jail. So <laughs> he's pounding on the door. Uh, no, he wasn't even pounding the door yet. He said, go find your passport and then I'll, and come back in less than two minutes. And then, and we got to go from there. All right. Fun. So we go in the room, she goes towards the bed to get her passport and she ends up handing me the bed sheet, go tie the bed sheet to the railing and get the hell out of here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's like a movie. Cool. Yeah, dude, it was, it was like, this is like, there's the multiple chapters are like as in depth as this. This is just like Thailand in general. It's like one of my stories from Thailand, but I go over to the railing and tie it up and I'm, we're keep in mind we're drunk. So I didn't really put two and two together of how long or uh, short the bed sheet was. So I just tied it up there and let it hang out, figuring I can escape like Spider-Man. Cause we all seen Spider-Man do his thing. And when you're drunk, you think you're Spider-Man. Yeah. So where I'm at with this is that she's over by the bed, finds her passport, runs back over, and then the guy starts pounding on the door. I'm like, shit, I got to go. So she gives me a kiss goodbye. I start sliding down. She just starts untying the bed sheet as I'm falling down. I, I get to the very end of it. I'm not even at the ground yet. I'm like halfway down. So between the first and the second balcony, I'm like at the top of the first balcony. And she lets go of the, the sheet. I fall down. The, the railing of the balcony goes right in between my legs, hits my balls, which are empty. So, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, hell, I roll over on the balcony, the bed sheet falls down the ground. I'm like, what the fuck? So anyway, so I'm like, this sucks. Um, but I was out. I was out of the room. So I had a chance to keep going. The problem was I couldn't really make that jump. It was too tall to begin with. I could have, but it may have hurt and broken something. So I didn't do that route. So I hopped over to the other balcony because the one I was at, the door was locked, which I couldn't get through. So I saw the light on, the curtains open with an old couple in there, the other balcony. I hop over and then I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go through it. And then I hear the, the officers uh, come in the door, start yelling upstairs like, all right, I got a bolt. So I open up their sliding glass door, run through the bedroom as the old couple's watching TV and straight through to the hallway. And I'm like, sorry, 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 sorry. And I just bolt. And I didn't really do much. So I was kind of shocked at that at that part. But that worked out well. So I got in the hallway. I'm on the second floor. The two cops are still in the lobby. One's upstairs, two stories up. So I'm like, what the hell do I do? You know, you, you're right. It's like a James Bond movie. You're like, what the hell would he do? So I start bolting down the end of the hall away from the elevator to try to find one of those like service you know, stairwells. There's one there for like the staff. It goes up and down at the end of the hall. So thank God no one was like working, saw me anything. I go downstairs into the, the, the kitchen area for the lobby restaurant, completely a ghost, you know, no, no one's there in ghost town. And I bolt through like where the, what do you call it? The kitchen area is the refrigerators. And then back by the, the dishwashing station, they had like a little trash area that goes outside of the dumpster, like a little chute. So I open that up, no one. So I just climbed out of there and started sprinting. Like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> I Jesus kept going as far away from the hotel. Yeah, so the ho- and I kept hearing like these voices yelling and screaming. They're obviously looking for me. I don't know what happened to her. And I, I made it up to the beach at, the, at that point because I, I find out because I stayed over by the other side of the beach. So I figured if I can blend in with the people partying, they wouldn't find me there. So I sneak into, I actually went back into a kitchen <laughs> where people were still working, waited till they looked down, bowled across the kitchen, and finally got to the dance floor. The DJ saw me. I remember her like looking at me, what the hell is this guy doing? Because I, I was like sweating like profusely. But as soon as I got in the crowd, it, it kind of blended in because everyone was like on shrooms and like partying away everywhere. So <laughs> everyone's sweating their balls. And I just started jumping in and blended in. And then I just bar hopped from there and finally got to the bungalow and just passed out. I mean, I was dead exhausted from that whole experience, but I don't know what happened to the girl. That's the that's the weirdest part about the story is that till this present day, it'd be kind of cool if they ever got to the Australian market and she actually read this and kind of linked up again, but no clue because like we never exchanged dude in thailand we didn't have cell service we met that night we obviously would have maybe kind of exchanged numbers the next day but even my buddies though this is the weirdest part even they kind of like two of them hooked up i think or one or two of them did but no notes were left nothing and no one exchanged things that's the fun part about traveling like 
but it sucks that that happened to her and I, and we don't know who the hell we are. I can never see her again. Cause I got out. We all got out of there the next morning. Cause I didn't want to be cut by the cops. Cause I stayed up like a sort of thrum. I'm a really tall dude in Thailand. So I kind of like incognito, put a hat on, put some sunglasses on with my buddies. We all went to the ferry and got off the Island and that was it. But to this day, no idea what happened to Heather. <laughs> Still don't know. But that's just a wild story in Thailand. And it just reminded me of what you're talking about when the police came up to us because we didn't know any better. We didn't mean any harm, but like, obviously they had to do their job and, you know, for better, or for worse, it led to that story. So it is what it is. <laughs> you need to do one like those Craigslist ads where you're like, hey, uh, I was in Thailand. Misconnection. Yeah. <laughs> see if she finds you. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great fucking story to start the book with, man. Yeah, man. Do it. It just it would it, it it came up because I was planning on going back to Thailand and I just wrote it down because I had some time in Philly that a couple of weeks prior it was I was still like on standby for work because remember like almost a year ago things were still wishy washy whether it's going to be normal life or not yeah and I just you know I didn't know what to do with because I didn't want to go back to work work two months and then all hell breaks loose and everything shuts down again it's just you know I'm better off taking the time off while I can so oh, but ho- hopefully it's like done done. We're all finger, keeping our fingers crossed. We say that every you know every quarter, but hopefully it's finally done. Hopefully, dude. But that's, yeah, man, that's fucking awesome, man. That's chapter one. So if anybody likes that type of story and you like travel, rooftop diaries on Amazon. I actually have it on sale for Fourth of July weekend right now. It's a two ninety nine instead of five ninety nine. It'll run through July fifth or sixth. They got me allowed. It's like a week long sale for for the holiday. So, so if anybody, far- like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, if you like the ebook or Kindle, that that's on sale for the next week or so. So as far as printing goes, how does that work? Do you just print on demand or do you print yeah. a total amount? You can you can decide either or. Um, I get a lot of author copies, so if I do, we, we had a rooftop diary, we had a rooftop promotion, not promotion, but the launch party in Lauderdale actually about a month ago before I went to Bahamas. The timing just worked. I was there for a long weekend, and I had all these physical copies with me and did some book signings and stuff like that. I'll probably do another one here in Philly. I just don't know what's on the horizon this month yet. I might be going to Italy or Spain and I'll find out Monday. And that has nothing to do with the book. It's just for other work again. But if I don't, then I'll stick around here and I'll do another rooftop uh, launch party for Philly. And then who knows from there, you know, um, because I haven't done like a full thing of marketing yet. So if that, I might do some ads here on Amazon and then I'll also do a little book tour in the West coast. Cause I have a lot of friends out in San Diego and, and Los Angeles. So we'll see what happens from that. Um, but podcasts are big. And I go back to Tucker Max when he, he has that website. He, you got you got to do podcasts. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. I think it's good for the for the general public in general because you know, people learn from listening to other people's stories like this. I've learned a lot from other people I've met. I learned a lot from you guys. And heck, I might be going to Nepal and meeting a girl that you guys are interviewing. You never know. That'd be really really cool, man. You know, hey, are you the girl that did the Lincoln podcast? And then she'd be like, yeah. yeah. Here comes the pictures. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that, that the actual printing is. I did print on demand because I didn't have place to store it or anything like that. But if you do like a full, like actual like publisher and, and they're, they're and you're taking less cut, I'm sure they do more mass printing at once and they get a lower cost per, per book. But that my profit margin is not going to be that big. The difference is because I, you can, I could easily price this thing out like 1799 or something like that or 20 bucks. But I didn't want that. I wanted everyone to be able to afford it, but at the same time, they'll like make a little bit of money on it, but it's, it's more of, it's not free, but I'm not making a huge chunk. I'm still making about the same you would make, the difference is where, where it's not costing $17.99 is I'm not paying or the publishing company is not paying all that huge marketing dollars to because there's a lot of other books that are like the same size, same same topic and everything like that. And they're exactly $16, $17, $18.99 for paperback. But I know why. It's because the marketing costs. They're spending millions of dollars on this thing. And they got to make their money up that way. So instead of $13.99, that's the difference. 
So that's usually four or five dollars per book because you have a big company involved. And that's very true with the uh, ironically, it's very true with the travel industry. I worked with it's called Gate One Travel. Very, very good company for for people that want to go to like you said, like Tanzania. They do the safaris there. They do Gate One they do um India. It's like your once in a lifetime trips, but it's it's a fully guided tour and you join a group. The reason I bring them up is because it's a great example of a win-win for the customer and also for the company. The price of their trip, let's just use the Safari, for example, might be like two grand per person versus a competitor, maybe three grand per person. Why is it so different? It has to do with volume. The company itself just strictly runs that many more tour buses through Tanzania each month. They may run four or five of them per month, and the other one only runs one per month. So they get better discounts on the hotels, better discounts on the food, better on, better on the, they own the bus. Everything like that's on the back end, and the price ends up being less for the person. And most of the time, the quality of the guide is going to be better because they're getting more tours. They're getting more money that way based on tips. So it's a win-win for everybody. They're paying less as a customer. You stay in the same exact star quality rating as hotels as the other companies. You're just going on a company that operates more. So the cost ends up being less. This is very similar where you don't, I don't have an expense, not so much for volume, but I'm not paying someone like a, or someone's not taking money out of the, the cost of the, the consumer to pay for the book for their marketing. So I did a lot of organic stuff. Some of it's paid per click, but that's just for people that I don't know. Um, this is a lot of travel industry people that are just sharing it on social media. And I, we have not gone internationally. I'm waiting for the Audible to be out. The reason why is that's a big market for the UK and uh, for Australia too, the Audible. So once that's prepped and ready late July, then we're going to kind of go to that, expand to the global market as well. Your girl in Australia is going to hear it. Yeah, and She's going to hear it. And she's going to be like, this motherfucker left me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, she told me to take the bed sheet. I was just listening. Well, I'm listening. Are you gonna? I'm just kidding. No, it, it, it was yeah, it was the heat of the moment type of thing. It really was a movie sign, movie scene. And I, I told you, I think it was Rahul. I talked about this earlier. There's one chapter. If anybody already has the book, and and wants a very good story, just nothing to do with travel. I mean, you learn some stuff too about the culture in, in Estonia. But it's called chapter number thirty-two, Estonian Ensemble. And the reason I like that chapter because that's probably the craziest story I've ever had. And I'm not going to tell you what it's about or anything like that, but man, the one I just talked about amped it up times two. It's just, it's that much crazier. You say chapter 32? Yeah. Estonia, which I don't even know. No, I mean, do you guys even know where Estonia is? Somewhere in Europe, right? Yes. Okay. That's yeah. Very far northeastern Europe up by Russia and, and Belarus, but people don't even know where it is half the time. That's why I kind of like to do that type of chapter too, because you learn a lot about the country. But dude, the story on that one is absurd, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not BSing you. It's just I, I definitely would get some heat from it at some point, especially if I have a family and kids. But whoever I end up marrying, they got to be able to like understand that this was for the better will of the people. Tucker has to settle down, live on a farm. I can I can do this, and because he his is way vulgar in mine, way more vulgar on his books. But um, but yeah, he's he's been he's been an inspiration. Anthony Bourdain got to give a lot of acknowledgments in the back, and and I got to give a shout. Tito knows Magro too. One of my old coworkers in Lauderdale. I mean, this is this I, I wrote this because a lot of people are, are passed away. Obviously, mm-hmm. grandparents are a big one. But Dino, one of my best friends from South Florida, for like, I knew met him in college. Magro is my coworker in, in Lauderdale. Lance just passed away a couple months ago. Ross, we don't know where he is. And all, dude, my cousins, like my own direct family, like I had like six, seven people that are just completely cut off from any of the rest of our family. It's, it's definitely drug related, but three of them are, three of them are dead. Uh, it's bad. So it, it just depends on, you know, making a choice in life of 
I, I relate to we all you know most people unless you're like sober that's fine and nothing wrong with that because I, I met George, um, Gerard Butler the 300 actor oh yeah in, in, in Europe and he's I, the whole time I thought he was drinking he's sober the whole time he's just drinking soda just Diet Coke that's it so that can be done by all means you don't need to drink alcohol but where I'm going at is with this whole synopsis is say you have one drink you at that point you still have control on how many more drinks you have the rest of the night when you get to a certain point it takes over you and it's harder to control. So for better or for worse, that's what's happened with my direct family, my cousins, man. It just, they got involved in the wrong place, wrong people. And it just took over their lives. And, and some of them are in jail, some of them are dead. And it, you know, and I got other, other parts of my friends and family that are compl- doing very well. And it, it's, it's, I've seen not just my own family, but different countries. It's the same exact thing, man. It, it all aspects of life are all over the place. So you just got to pick and choose and you got to follow your gut. You know, if if you're feeling like a situation's right or wrong, you can usually tell in your heart, you know, whether it's the right thing or wrong thing. So, but do you have the willpower to, to move on and step away or, or not? That's that's what it usually boils down to is self-discipline. And that, that's not always easy. Man, you've lived a good life, man. And it's not over with yet. <laughs> 37. 37. But I'm just, I mean, I, that's I, I, just I, I, the I, I, thing, though. I think you're doing more than most people will ever do. And that's very unfortunate for most people. <laughs> like, to yeah, not even live a fraction of what you've done. And this is, I say this with, with my, my true heart, is that I, I envy a lot of my friends that have families and kids and have an actual steady lifestyle. Because most of the time, that actually is very attractive. I want that myself. The challenge is, there's there's good parts to that and there's bad parts. Because, you know, you can actually say, hey, look. You know, you know, if you have mom and pop or if you don't, it's kind of nice to say, you know, you have your own kid. Now you have grandkids for them. That's that's usually what people want in life in general. Some people don't want kids. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people like dogs. Some people like cats, whatever. My point I'm getting at is that this lifestyle that I've had, there's definitely ups and downs. And I forgot to say the, the, the negative part of having kids. And we all can attest it. If you have kids, the nonstop crying part and not being able to sleep, especially that first year, is brutal. But the trade-off is it's it's one thousand percent worth it. Yeah, and that's very very directly related to being a nomad or being a backpacker. And I'm not trying to do this full time. I'm trying to like retire at some point sooner or later because I don't want to end up like Anthony Bourdain and, and, and no disrespect at him, it was his choice. But I, I can't do that. I can't sustain it for for years on end. This is just because of the whole COVID thing. I just extended it. You know, I had a one year sabbatical and made it three. But I'm I'm exhausted, man. I'm trying to like settle down a little bit. Where I'm going at is that there's negatives. Yes, there's perks that are amazing. Like I'm chilling out on Thailand for a month straight, writing a book on rooftops, spending three dollars on on dinners, and being able to see a, a lifelong friend who's been living there, and experiencing all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm st- sleeping on planes or airports or buses, whatever. I had to go through like 40 negative COVID tests to get the damn thing stuffed up in your nose. You know, I'm not bitching and moaning, but my point is, it's not always the most fun thing. Yeah, and especially when you do want to have different things in life and it's not physically possible. Like if I'm bouncing around every year, I keep doing this for five, 10 years. I want to have a girlfriend at some point. It's just not feasible. You can, but it's, it's hard. It's not easy. So the point is all aspects of life. You always have your ups and downs and you just got to find that groove in between that. If you're having a bad week, remember the good times. You're having a really good week. Remember that it's not going to last forever either. So enjoy it while you can. That's where I'm kind of getting at with all this. So do you have any friends like that haven't done anything? Oh Yeah. Dude, I, I, literally, my mom is the only time she's been out of the country is two times on a trip that we went to Italy because the, dude, the cruise was like 300 per person. It was stupid cheap from Barcelona to Venice. 
it was some like first time sailing promotion. We did it like that was our big family trip. That's actually in the book. <laughs> we lo- I lost them in Rome on the train. <laughs> that was a hoot. <laughs> but uh, but she's she's an own body man. That's just who she is. She doesn't want to leave. The only reason I did is because like it was it's because it was a family. It was like a once in a lifetime thing. She's good. She literally is taking out the heart. That's her once in a lifetime trip. And the only other time she's been out of the country, I, I I think it was like Bermuda or something like that, or Hawaii doesn't count. It's still in the U.S. But like she went somewhere in the Caribbean, like back in the seventies, and that was it. That's the only time she's been out of the country. And yes, I have a lot of friends all over that don't travel at all. Like from all 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 the places I live, Baltimore, Philly, San Diego, Florida, Vegas too. A couple of guys in Vegas that there's one girl, Regina, that she travels a lot. She actually owns two properties in, or a property in Acapulco and in Vegas. She goes back and forth all the time and she does, she's like this top 100 bucket list. She's just checking them off one thing at a time. You know, but she's, I don't know if she's single at this point, but she's been like half single, half with a relationship. And you do those things based on your current status. You know, there's a lot of stuff I have not done a lot. Most of it is for better or for worse things that I haven't done with the, you know, uh, girlfriend or, or wife or anything like that. Like, I don't really have a desire to go to Ireland and Scotland as a single guy. I just don't. Some people might, but it's not my thing. You hit on the head, like going single to Southeast Asia backpacking as a guy is really good. Going single to Spain and uh, Italy as a girl, very good. Going there as a couple is good too, but it's a different style of travel. And I just use Vegas because we all know Vegas. You go there single, it's a very different trip if you go there in a relationship. 100%. You know? But yeah, man, I, mean, that, that, I think we hit it all in the head on, on everything. So, but I, I appreciate you guys having me on. No, been- I think I thank you for coming on, man. I know um, when I reached out to you, like middle of June, I was like, all right, well, I'll be, I'll be in touch. Don't worry, I'll be in touch. And I just wrote down a little note on my calendar and hit up Brad, and that's what I did. Yeah, it, the timing worked out perfect, actually, because I'm on a little reboot. It was nice to actually, I had a day to relax yesterday after Bahamas because that was intense, man. Working in that industry in student travel, is very rewarding because you're passing knowledge on the kids, just like being a teacher. Yeah. But it's a lot of the, when you're staffing on site in Mexico or, or Bahamas, in this case, I worked in Jamaica once, worked in Dominican, worked in DR down there, lived there for a while, ended up dating one of the uh, hotel managers, didn't work out. But point being is that like it's a lot of hours, odd hours, and it's not the best pay, but I'm not spending anything either. So I look at what's your net, you know, so it's, it's like, you know, the, the time and trade-off is worth it because it's a place I've never been, but I was exhausted the last week, man. I was tired. So I'm glad we, by the way, people are listening at home. Raul and I were going to talk last Saturday, but I think the timing didn't work for either of us. So it worked out perfect to, to do it today yeah. in the final week. So, so, so it was a time and a place. So Brad, um, we always ask people in closing, what's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? Well, good question. So the general advice and this is nothing to do with, well, it has a lot to do with travel too, but relationships, travel, and I just talked about it is you got to follow your gut. And the reason I say that I'm very, for better, or for worse, I'm sometimes too nice. Um, but it's just in my bloodstream, it's how I like to be. It's like that, how I like the state's family name to be is a good overall general person and fun, you know, and caring and, and unselfish is the good word I'm saying. But my past relationships, I say follow your gut because if you, like look at the material stuff or whatever, or the what ifs and everything like that. And you get married and you end up getting a divorce and stuff like that. It's not the right way to do it. And especially if there's a kids involved, you know, where I'm going with that is that there's actually a chapter in a book in the Philippines where I had an ex-girlfriend and I was very impressed of what she did on the, the chapter at the end of it. But for the better of her, for the better of both of us, I should say, uh, moving forward is 
it was, I could actually just tell, like, it's an internal thing. You had this feeling in your heart. And I always go back to that because I end up saying, look, straight up, you, you just seemed happier in general. And I couldn't tell it. I couldn't put my finger on it, what exactly it was, but her and her ex-boyfriend just seemed better off. And I said that to her straight up, like after the trip, we got back and everything. And it's nothing to do with the trip. It's just, it just, it added up over the course of the thing. And then she, she showed me like a text he was sending to her and I didn't know the guy. It seemed like a cool dude. I'm like, well, why'd you guys break up? And I asked this before. I didn't really pay much attention, but I like actually asked it, asked and listened this time. And the, the main aspect for her, she really wanted to have kids like ASAP. And I was fine with that. I could have maybe moved forward with it, but I was very young in relationship. I, I take, I'm old school. I take a little bit more time, but where I was going with this is that that's the main reason she didn't want to continue with him because he didn't want to have kids. And that was it. That was like the only thing, everything else, they were all matched up. Like, well, that's only the only caveat, you know, what happens a year or two from now, if he ends up like saying, what do you want to have kids? It, people can change their mindset on that because that's a, that's a big, huge thing on moving forward as a, as a couple or in, in general, but it's, it depends on where you're at in life. Like he may have just moved or something like that, or hadn't been thinking about it. And just wasn't ready. And I, I wasn't ready with the with the next back when I was young twenties to even come close to settling down and having kids, but she was. So that's a whole different era where I'm getting at in mid thirties. But where I'm going with that is that to this day, we're still all good friends, everything. They are married, they have a kid, and they're doing very well. And for better or worse, and it ended up me, you know, exploring even more. I already was like at 30 countries at that point, but I ended up like going on a haywire the past three years after that, too. So and it ended up leading to a book. But where I, would I have been as happy as they are now? I don't. I just have this gut feeling. I think that they made the right move. I think it was the right place. So I we we mutually broke up, and they end up reconnecting. Who knows when? I didn't pay that much attention to it, but it was the right move. And if it didn't, if we didn't, if I didn't follow my gut, and she didn't follow like kind of like her gut with that. Oh, the what if he changes his mind about the the kid thing? None of that would have happened. So it's just a personal example of that nothing to do with travel, just life in general. I think that's always good advice. And it's whether it's sports, school, relationships, travel, you know, you, you have a gut feeling that you, you can get when you get to a place, you know, sometimes it's not vibing. You know, we talked about South Florida an example. I, when I first moved there, I didn't pick the city I wanted to be in. I, I drove through Jacksonville, Lauderdale, Tampa, I'm sorry, Miami looped around up to Orlando and then and hang out in Tampa with my buddy who was in the army there for a while. And Looking back, I made the right move because I, I I literally fell in love with Lauderdale. I love that city because I'm a big medium sized fan. I, I don't like big huge cities. I don't like small ones. And the fact that it was like ten minutes from the beach. If I didn't follow my gut there, I might have ended up in Miami because of work. I would have hated. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been. I may have been making more money, but man, I just I wouldn't have been doing well down there. So that's my overall general advice. I'd say always, always, definitely follow your gut, and then. As we talked about earlier, when you're old and wrinkly, you know, what are some things you absolutely want to do in life? And if you're, you know, diagnosed with cancer and you have half a year to live, pretend that mentality comes up, you know, what, what's your top one, two, three things you can do? Write it down and don't forget it because that'll make you focus on that, that goal that much more. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Cause like I said, I think a lot of people sit on the sidelines way too long and they think they're going to live forever and they don't. I mean, we don't obviously. And they don't yeah, do. It's, always, it's a temporary thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all, we all sign up for, for life at birth as a temporary thing, unless it's some huge robotic thing comes up when our grandkids are, but we, we ain't there yet. Yeah. You know, but, but the, uh, what the hell was it saying? Someone's like, yeah, maybe I'll do it later or, or maybe tomorrow. Mm. That basically means no, you're not going to do it. Stop yep. saying that. <laughs> yes or no. Pick one. 100%. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. But that, that, that's in, that, that's kind of how I left the book, too, in the conclusion. I, mean, I wrote a little bonus section, too, kind of like a fun, quirky thing that we talked about with the rooftops of my why. But but there's like a whole like checklist of like why, how, and, and you know, holding yourself accountable and getting moving. But focus is a big one, man. I'm very ADD. I don't know about you guys, but I can't focus on anything unless I write it down. Like even this, even this talk we've had, I had like three things. What's your favorite country? How do you afford it all? I wrote down Kensington, Philadelphia. If I didn't write those down. I probably forget one. Of them. <laughs> <All three. laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, like I said, it's true, man. Like I just wish people would, like you said, do more and stop a uh, pussy footing. <laughs> yeah. Philly down is. Yeah. I agree with you, man. But dude, that, that's on that note. If anyone's listening here, let's pick your top two, three things, write it down and get to it, man. Obviously, there's a time and place. If you want to go hike Kilimanjaro in, in Africa and you got family and kids, you may want to ask the wifey permission or vice versa. Ask the husband permission <laughs> first before you do that. That's a, it's an extreme trip, but that's on there for me. I just don't really have the desire to go on single. I, that's like, you know, what if what if someone wants to hike with me at some point? I actually got invited to go to Kili in July, but it's a very, very expensive trip. That that type of like camping trip or hiking trip, man. Even Everest is like triple what I would spend in a month than anywhere else. Oh wow, so, really? It, yeah, I don't have that financial means at the moment, but say I work for another five, ten, twenty years, whatever, and I still am physically somehow capable with my knees to hike up Kilimanjaro. That's on a life bucket list. That'd be freaking cool, but it's not a priority. You know, the the priorities. You always have your pecking list, so you just got to reorder it based on your current status at the moment. You know. So would you tell people? to do more traveling and be more interesting? It depends. Again, if I'm talking to my mom and I tell her to travel more, she's just going to let it go through one year, not not the other, unless there's like a different incentive. So not everyone, I tell this very, very transparent about the book. It's not for everybody. My dad, when he reads books, it's all hardcore sci-fi. We all love, I love Star Trek. He likes Star Wars. So it was things like that. Like, it's not a sci-fi. Maybe the maybe the um, Iceland thing with the aliens, but it's not it's not real sci-fi. It's just it's just what it felt like to us. But if you're not into travel, then don't force something. That goes back to the gut feeling. If I if I you know didn't tell her to go back with her ex, I would enforce in that relationship, man. You know, it, it wouldn't have been uh, good for, for the greater good for either of us moving forward. If something's not fully there, don't don't force it. But I think in general, if you have the interest to do something, whether it's travel. Whether it's skateboarding, or just playing an instrument, you something you haven't done before, and you're curious about it, that I support. I one thousand support, one thousand percent support curiosity. That's I, I said this ever since I came out of the womb, man. I've been just curious as a newborn kitten, just in my blood. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't do because of internal fear or external fear, or well, they're just, waiting on somebody else. Yeah, you said something about the hostels. It's a great example there. You, you, you have this impression on you, and you haven't actually even – most people think about hostels as a negative thing. They haven't even stayed in one. Yeah. That's like saying, you know, what's, this is the worst cheesesteak I've, I've ever had, but you actually didn't eat the cheesesteak. Or it's on, like man. people like, I hate sushi. Have you tried it? No. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't know if you don't like exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I totally agree. And don't knock it till you try it is a big, big thing. I, I agree with you there. So traveling, if, you, if you're curious about it, I use the word curiosity. And you want to put some effort into it, effort, whether it's in a relationship, you want to put some effort into traveling, put down your top three. Top threes are very easy to focus on. You get a top 10, things get blurred out. Focus, you know, set your goals realistically, you know, whether it's traveling or, or financially, you, you know, you want to switch to move to a new city, whatever, get a new job, put in your top three interests. And then from there, go, go afterwards. But, you know, focus is a good word. Curiosity is a good word. Effort's a big one. 
and have some fun, man. Uh, that's that everyone I for better or for worse. Like, I'm a little bit weird with the pandemic stuff, but yeah, I think I I was very very cautious in the beginning, being respectful when people didn't have vaccines yet. For example, I got a vaccine when I went to Thailand because people didn't have a vaccine there. And I didn't want to be like giving COVID to someone that hasn't been vaccinated yet. I thought they would just prevent it altogether from getting COVID. It obviously didn't. You can still carry it and, and give it to somebody. So it kind of screwed up the whole purpose of doing that. But where I'm getting at was this: with this is I kind of like hit the gas pedal more once people were able to get vaccinated, especially the elderly, because my parents are very, very old. They're 78. They're bad health safe. And, you know, obviously anyone that's older, based on what I've heard of data, it, it would more likely to actually knock it off and die. Yes, everyone else that's younger without asthma and stuff like that, you're going to have a bad cold. But, dude, I'd rather, I'm just saying it's unfiltered. I'd rather get COVID at my age than I'd rather get strep throat. Mm. I'm just saying. And we're not st- checking everybody for strep throat, and it's very contagious too. But that 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 sucks, man. That's, I used to get earaches and strep throat as a kid all the time. It's hell on earth. COVID for me, I probably had it. I don't know. But if I did, I'd rather get that than other stuff. Where I'm getting at with all this, though, is that uh, – <laughs> For better, for worse, on the checking in on things, I forget the hell I was talking about. To be honest, but <laughs> but the uh, the timeline on everything, I forget. Well, the thing with COVID though is like you got to respect it, but you can't fear it. Yeah, I agree with the, oh, the fear we're talking about. Thank you. It, and you said something with the fear of everything. So if you let something that you haven't tried, like completely engross you on even going to, to I mean, I, I just got back from Trader Joe's just to get bananas and, and milk. And the cashier is wearing plastic gloves and a mask, which has probably had three vaccines. I, I just I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. So I mean, I feel bad for people because they're it's just it's overwhelming to them. I mean, if you're that scared, don't do the cashier thing. I just it's just it's like I'm trying to say that's an example of me trying to play guitar. I'm terrible at it. Why would I go go play the guitar for somebody? I'd do something else. Like I, there's actually an example in in the book about tour guides. And it's nothing to do with COVID. It's just like what you're comfortable with, what you're confident with, or what you're scared of, what you're not scared of. So you can get over a hump of, of fear. You know, I don't think you should be doing it, but the tour guides, that's a big, huge tip-based industry. Most of them are just, even like a free walking tour in the city, I highly promote that because they earn their money based on tips. So the guide's got to be good. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to do what they do. But when someone's talking like, you know, hey, this is the this is the thing over here and this is the thing over here versus the guy who's giving me like a full enunciate or guy or girl who's enunciating and talking about in, in, in vivid detail or making it comedic, making it funny. You know, your income changes dramatically. Where I'm going with that is that if you're not like a huge dramatic, in, uh, you know, painting a picture type of person, is that your best choice of employment? <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Don't phone it in. Yeah. But, don't know. force things in. Yeah. I mean, but that, that being said, some people are very knowledgeable and they just don't have a good voice. Okay. Get a little voice amplifier, 10, 20 bucks on Amazon or wherever you live. You know, it, it's worth the investment at that point to, to be able to hear, have people hear you. Cause I guarantee you, if someone's listening to this, who doesn't talk a lot. I'm a talker. I just, it's, it, I'm like Vince Vaughn, but blind. I just talk all the time, <laughs> but there's someone listening to this podcast. that doesn't talk a lot and, and has way better things to say than I do. I guarantee it. The thing is usually it's fear driven or they don't have a, a strong enough thing. And, and it's, a, it's finding your right Avenue to how to express it in my opinion, write it down and share it with some friends and family. Cause you never know who might appreciate it. And, and I'm a big fan of, of books and writing because my voice, I'm loud. I'm talking a lot, but I can't understand half the things I'm talking about, nor can anyone else. I'm sure people listening to you guys probably heard like 70% of what the hell I was saying. That's why I wrote the damn thing. 
but it, it relates to everybody at home too or listening that you always have something that's interesting for people to listen to. Yeah. And it depends on other people's interest. You know, just like we're talking about travel, someone else might not care about travel, but they may have picked up something else about we we're talking about with relationships and it, 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 it clicks with them. So my point is write things down, uh, whether it's for your own benefit to remind yourself to do stuff down or to do stuff and set your goals, or you don't necessarily need to write a book, but like a short story or something like that, or share your experience and how you feel. You know, don't be afraid to tell people, you know, communicate. It's the human nature. That's, that's what I get so scared about our future generations with this iRobot stuff or any robotic things, because like, it's it literally is a, that that's my personal fear is someone our grandkids age who's got to deal with a real life scenario of like iRobot where robots are taking over and you can't like and that's the sci-fi in me it's nerd in me talking but dude that would suck to have to have a robot as a friend and not a human and they can't think anywhere near like a human capability that just would that, that's my fear yeah you know how the world's going with that stuff but i think technology is great love phone like i think cell phones change the world for the better but there's a certain time where you try to make a robot act like a human and takes over a human's jobs. I don't know if it's good or bad, but we'll see to be determined. Right. It's very good information you give here today, today Brad. Um, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Uh, where can everybody find you at? Uh, Instagram is probably the easiest for the book stuff. It's called Brad, the nomad 85. If you just type in Brad, the nomad, it'll pop up. There'll be a, like a Canadian one. Who's like a, a, a like a farmer in Canada somewhere? He's cool, and there's an American one. Up there. <laughs> you, have you talked to him? <laughs> no, I haven't messaged him. Um, which is really weird. You brought brought this up though, because I when I first before I wrote the book, I was making sure the domain was there. Rooftopdiaries.com. You can reach me there. Uh, email on that one, uh, or even on Facebook. Brad States. My last name is States, just like United States. And everyone doesn't believe it. They think it's made up, but it actually was Dutch and German van status, and then you know three decades ago or whatever the hell it was, they just changed it to States. But um. The funny part you said with the with the the Brad the Nomad thing, nothing with him. But when I typed in Rooftop Diaries at the exact same time, almost identical month or week that I um, that I released the actual book in early May, a guy in Europe, I forget what countries, Northern Europe somewhere, he released a song on uh, called Rooftop Diaries, and I wish there was a way to engrave the song with the ebook. That'd be freaking cool because it's the same as I titled. Neither of us have like the rights to that specific LLC. You don't really need it for a book. The copyright's all underneath the author's name. And I, I very, very proudly to say I got the copyright like two weeks ago. So that's actually a huge, like the book's one thing, but to have your own name copyright with rooftop diaries by Brad States, that's pretty freaking cool. That's like a kind of like personal goal, but it's just kind of quirky that the, what are the chances of that the exact same week, this guy in Europe releases a song called Rooftop Diaries. It's a pretty chill song, too. It's like a melodic, kind of like like go to bed, kind of chill out type of uh, song. As the same time I released the book on Amazon, and, and it's available on Google, on Barnes & Noble, and Walmart. You can get it everywhere there. Uh, the cheapest price is Amazon because it's a dollar less because you don't have the extra marketing fee. But um, I just thought that was kind of quirky, man. So if you want to like have the book and listen to a cool song while you're reading it, type in Rooftop Diaries, and you'll see it pop up on YouTube. <laughs> We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, Nothing super super chill song, though. Yeah. If you're uh, ever in Fort Lauderdale again with Mr. Miami, hit us up because he wants us to come down there for that. Well, I actually just got invited. This is uh, totally off the record. Nothing to do with the thing, but I I rendezvous with a friend of mine from 13 years ago. We we used to work in Acapulco, and she came down to to Nassau to hang out just because she had a couple days off. Why not? And she just moved to South Florida. Anyway, and she's like, yeah, come back down to Lauderdale. And I'm like, well, maybe. 
I got to find out. I'm waiting for Monday. I got to find out if I'm going to be going over to Europe for work or not. If I'm not, then I kind of have another couple of weeks here to, to reboot and figure out from there. But um, I might be in Lauderdale the 9th to the 15th that week, maybe. If I do, I'll, I'll text you guys. I'll text Tito. We'll, we'll link up for a beer for sure. And not some of that IPA crap. We'll get a nice good. <laughs> yeah, beer. we'll get some like Pilsner, uh, light beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we get, we get, we get, what did you say, uh, Natty Light? I, got, I haven't had that in years, man. You will. If we meet up, we definitely will drink some. And Bush Light, <laughs> I'll bring you great. some. <laughs> no, but That's I want to say, I want to read one thing out of your book that I just saw yeah. before we get off here. Yeah, and it's a piece of advice you give, and it, it's very, like, you could be using everything. Dear reader, if there's one simple piece of information you retain from this book, it's to travel with thoughtfulness. Care for other humans, animals, and environment combined. Don't be a dickhead, right? I mean, you didn't say that, but I'm—I'm—that's what I'm saying. Like, no, I agree with you. That I mean, that's literally the last page on there. It's not even—it's not the acknowledgments, but it's like the conclusion. Yeah. Like, here's my final thoughts. And the reason I say that is because kind of we go back to that story with the kids in India with the pollution in the middle of the river. I've just seen so much shit, man. Where it's like there's a serious, legit pollution problem. Mostly plastic related, and and I, I'm all for beach cleanups. Trust me, I think it's in good uh, spirit and, and good heart, good helpful thing. But it, it's like you have a whole barrel of hay, right? And you're just pulling one little piece of hay out of that whole barrel. There's yeah. still that much more crap to deal with, and usually the issue is the manufacturing. The problem is, is so much money involved that has to go literally to the governors and to the president and to, to all the high ups in the, in the government to limit production of plastic it's a it's a monumental thing to gotta worry about and that's just in the u.s once if that even happens then you get a ripple effect of other countries i mean uh what the hell's her name there was a girl that's in albania right now backpacking around and she saw like a fisherman go out and just like toss a, a empty soda bottle in the ocean like it was nothing just it's how they were raised man they don't know any better yeah you smack them in the head say oh you can't do that because you know it's gonna end up like killing whatever my point is that there's a lot of that in the world that I've seen firsthand. It's definitely real. I can't speak for global warming per se, but I've definitely have seen glaciers in Patagonia where there used to be an entire glacier. And now it's like half of it, like, or even just completely gone. Hmm. Now that's a whole different dilemma. I don't know if that's infected by pollution per se. It might be, but that just might be the general course of the earth. That's very different conversation. Where I'm getting at is we can actually control pollution to an extent of whether it be emissions and or i don't look at plastic pollution as the biggest problem just because it's everywhere man it's brutal it's all over the place there's not enough recycling but um but the kindness factor i say that because th this is directly related to industry folks that anyone that's in the travel industry um it's not always the easiest job and, and i'll use flight attendants as an example pilots have it hard enough man and i just flew back from bahamas this pilot was gnarly, man. He must have been ex-military. He's navigating around this huge thunderstorm in D.C., like weaving through clouds going up and down, and we barely – and we got some turbulence, but I've been through way worse turbulence and, and smaller storms where this pilot just went straight through the rain cloud, and the whole plane's like flipping over on his back, and, the plane, and, and stuff's flying all over the place. So kudos to him for flying that way. It's not easy. Not everyone has that talent. And what I was getting at with the flight attendants is you're always going to have – passengers who are complete that you said dickheads yeah. or, or girls that are just being bitchy to them for no reason other than they're just like furious with themselves maybe they didn't get the, the plane ticket they want or the right seat they want and they're taking it out on someone else and that sucks man i mean the flight attendants are they don't have a they have a home quote unquote but they're never there 
I mean, imagine like going to work and having someone yell at you and you're not even in, in home like a quarter of a year. That's they're on the road all the time. And I've lived that experience, not as a flight attendant, but as a, as a customer of the airline, I lived in the planes. And like, I always try to teach treats, whether it's an airline stewardess or hotel receptionist, maybe their first week in a the job, they're taking them along and you're like, ain't you get a notification and you're being a dick about it. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes, assume the positive, you know, you know, <laughs> don't, don't assume that this, they've been, uh, been there for 10 years and they're, they're on top of their game or maybe the system's down and it's out of their control. You know, that type of stuff happens in travel. It's always happens. And, and there's highs and lows. And I go back to that and you got to find your groove, you know, and, and be nice to people because there's definitely bad parts of traveling where you get stuck in the middle of a hurricane for an entire week and it's raining all week and it sucks and you just waste all your money and time. At some point in your life, if you're traveling a lot, that's going to happen. Not necessarily a hurricane, but dude, I, was, I went back to back to back in the, in the, in the book in Indonesia and in Asia on a trip where where the hell was I? Taiwan, there was a typhoon the day after I left, or two days after I left. And then I was in Bali, there was an earthquake just off the coast of Java, which shook the whole entire island of, of Bali. And then I went to Vietnam, and it wasn't a, a typhoon. What the hell was it? It was a... Monsoon? Tsunami. Tsunami. The, the, the tsunami threats were coming up all over the place. So it just, like, it affected everything. And, and thank God I was backpacking because I can make changes. That's something I, I, I didn't mention in this podcast. I should mention to everybody. This is definitely travel related. And I think it's wise for people to do it this way. Whether you only have a weekend or you got a full week or you got a month or you got a whole year to travel. I never, ever supported making very regimen schedules. And I know you want to say it's a week and you got in Italy. You want to like just be bang, 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 see everything. What if something's really important in Rome and like the Coliseum and you want to see it and get good pictures? Like, let's just use the. Um, Leaning Tower Pisa, our family picture we have, me and my mom and my pop. That's one of my favorite pictures I have as a family because it was bright and sunny that day. It wasn't supposed to be, and we just got lucky. But what if that's very important to somebody and they're actually there in Florence for a couple of days? You know, don't plan it on your first day because what if it's rain all day and the next day it's sunny or vice versa? Kind of let weather decide what you do and when you do. Um, obviously, if you have the room to, to do it, do that. If you only have one night in a the place, then you got to hit the gas pedal. That sucks, but that that happens a lot. But if you have the, the very important part when you're traveling and it's like you're I used that top three things on your, your bucket list. Um, let's just, you, you, you talked about Tulum earlier, Tony, you know, say Tulum is one of your top, you know, three things you got to see in your life before you die. I wouldn't necessarily go flying there in August or September, middle of hurricane season. If you could pull it off in December, January, February, you know, I mean, just look at the weather, <laughs> you know, your percentage of getting a better experience is way better. Most than, just like the Northeast has winter and has four seasons, you know, Florida's got hurricane season. Do your research before you go. Don't just completely wing it. You know, wing it to an extent, but the weather's a big, huge influence on a lot of people's experiences. And I just use the flight attendants as an example there because there might be weather delayed uh, plane for four hours. And then next thing you know, they're taken out. They're being rude to the, to the flight attendant for no reason other than the weather. I mean, come on. Be, yeah. be polite. Be nice. It's like uh, Blockbuster taught us. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> that's a good throwback man oh man anyone that's 30 40 or more listen to that remember the old blockbuster days yeah no shit man those are the golden days those are fun days actually, i actually went to like go pull out a dvd the other day and we ended up doing an on-demand thing and paid for it when the dvd was free it's just like it, it's the new thing to do but records are making a comeback though final they're coming yeah, back. i've heard that. that that's crazy well even like even streaming sometimes it buffers yeah, like yeah, I've been, I've on, I've been on like Netflix and Hulu, and it just like buffers. So you're not even completely set with that, even. Yeah. 
But you know, ten years from now, it might be some hologram. It it shows up in the middle of our eyelids. Who knows, man? Oh, that'd be fucking wild. Something. Yeah, like an episode I, of Black I'm, Mirror or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate your time again. If you anybody's listening and wants to uh, hit me up at Brad the Nomad eighty five on Instagram, you can DM me there. Um, I definitely use Facebook more. It's called Brad States. And then the, the website, you can go to rooftopdiaries.com for the for the copy of the book and just click on Amazon's cheapest. If you want Barnes & Noble, that's fine. You can click on there too as well. It's on the uh, website. Well, appreciate your time, Thanks Brad. a lot, man. Thanks, Raul. Thanks, Tony, guys. All right, All right, guys. All right Take bye. care. See, see you in Florida a couple weeks, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. All right, bye.